Hey, welcome to the 262nd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about Fantastic Four from 1984, some classic John Byrne comics. We have She-Hulk. She-Hulk has entered uh, Baxter Building, so we can hear about about that. Sometimes I talk about movies. Sometimes I, I, well, one time (laughs) I talked about a random off-my-mind topic, which I may do again. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash GMAT from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five, (laughs) and that is ko-fi.com slash GMAT from heck. All right, what's going to happen this week? Guess what? I didn't go to the movies again. Oh, man. There's like nothing major. Play- there, there's like little things here and there that are Something came out last week, but it wasn't what I would consider like a podcast movie, something that would be worth watching. Like The Invitation came out. I'm curious about that. I don't think I'd want to see it in the theater or pay to see it in the theater. I'll, I'll watch it streaming somewhere. Something else I think just came out, but... Yeah, so the main feature this week is going to be the, 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 the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Powers. It's such an awkward title. I didn't realize there was a the before that. So two episodes of that are out. That is on Amazon. So I wasn't sure if I was going to cover both of them this week. I am going to cover both of them this week. So you have that. I'm also going to cover Samaritan. I think I maybe mentioned it last week. So that's also on Prime, the Sylvester Stallone superhero movie-ish. So yeah, you can hear about that. Then, of course, there... Oh, Stargirl is back. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, I dig that show. So so glad. It feels like it's been a long time since the second season. It hasn't. Well, maybe just like a year or less. But I'm, I'm glad that show's back. So the third season is, is on. Then we have She-Hulk. Interesting episode of She-Hulk. Uh, Harley Quinn. The Oh, The Patient. That's another new movie. Uh, Steve Carell. And I, when I tell people, it's, it's not a funny show. It's it's like serious, so you you'll hear about that. You you definitely want to check that. Out. Two episodes dropped on Hulu. It's a FX Hulu show, uh, so I think you can watch it on FX, but I watch it on Hulu, so you can watch those first two episodes. New episodes on Tuesdays, so that means uh, this week you can watch episode three. Um, I think I mentioned House of Dragon. We got comics, and let's talk about some news. So the thing that uh, is interesting, I'm I'm a little I don't know how I feel about this. There is a some images from Hulu's Hellraiser movie. So we get to see Jamie Clayton as Pinhead. I don't know if they're necessarily calling her Pinhead because I'm pretty sure Clyde Barkinet wasn't super crazy about that name, but it just kind of stuck. And she was never, or Pinhead, he was never referred to that in, in the book. But we get an image of that. And I, I just, I don't know. I mean, on, on the one hand, it's not so much the fact that they're bringing Pinhead back as a woman, and you know, I've mentioned this before. You know, there there are there have been or there is at least one female Cenobite. So to take Pinhead, I I'm really curious what the reasons. I don't know if it's been said, and it it kind of sounds like they set out from the beginning. We want a female Cenobite, okay? And they're saying this isn't a reboot. This is like something that you know they're not trying to recreate it. It's it's like its own thing. Well, I guess technically it is a reboot. It's not. I don't know what what it is. 
But then there's this other picture of a sun, and the images that were shown were like super dark. It's, it's like you know everything is blue tinted. And I'm like squinting, like turning up the contrast on my phone or whatever. It's like I can't see anything. And and you hear the story about this this person who gets the box and is going to unleash everything. And it's like boohoo. I don't know. We'll see. I want to be um, optimistic about it. And you know, Clive Barker is like a producer, executive producer. So he seems on bro- on board with you know someone else bringing his characters to life and all that. But I'm just so skeptical. I'm trying not to be. I mean, the, Jamie Clayton looks looks it looks cool. I just don't know the need for it. But maybe maybe it's for the best because I and I think I mentioned this when they recast Pinhead in that other Hellraiser movie. It it felt weird. It felt different. It. It just it almost felt wrong, so maybe by doing this, like let's let's cast a, a woman, there won't be like the intentional or unintentional comparisons. We'll see. DC Fandom, remember Fandom? So we, we'd get these virtual announcements, like panels and stuff like that, so you can hear about everything, see trailers and all that. Last year, actually, I don't even know if I watched last year's. I don't, I don't think I was looking at the schedule, and there wasn't really anything. I don't know. I remember the first year there was like I, I was I watched a bunch of stuff, and there was just a lot of cool announcements. But this year, there is no fandom. No, is that really a surprise? It's been canceled by Warner Brothers Discovery. What they the statement that was released with the return of in person events, Warner Brothers Discovery is excited to be able to engage with our fans at numerous comic cons around the world and will not be scheduling dc fandom for 2022 interesting way to put it because at san diego comic-con which is like kind of like even though comic cons have been back pretty much this year you know throughout the year comic-con was like the big thing guess what dc comics wasn't there oh guess what warner brothers wasn't there either they gave up their spot on the floor which is crazy because there's like a huge wait list. I don't know if Warner Brothers Discovery can pull any strings or if they lease their spot, but you, you, if you have a spot and you leave it, you lose it. You're back at the line. And I, I think it's like at least like a six-year wait list. That, and they had like prime real estate. They had like a really good – the DC had, a, had an amazing spot. Last Comic-Con, they gave it up, and then half of the Warner Brothers was DC. The other half was Warner – it was, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about it. It was loud. It was just, it's almost like DC Comics was just like shoved over on that side. And and now if they gave up the whole, I don't know. Or maybe they just don't really have any big announcements. You know, they push some things back and they're restructuring things. So, you know, I'm sure that's it, that there's nothing really big. But what about with comics? You know, there are comics coming out. Uh, I don't know. Speaking of Warner Brothers, uh, House of the Dragon, the co-showrunner, uh, Miguel Sapochnik is stepping down for season two, which is kind of seems kind of crazy. It's like biggest opening, whatever on HBO Max, and then like the dude's like, I- I'm out of here. And at first, when it happened, I was, of course, you know, the media thought is like, is it something controversial? Did something happen? Apparently, it's exhaustion. He's still doing other stuff there. Like, I guess he has a first look deal with with HBO, HBO Max, or whatever. So he's just probably like, oh, okay. So the other, I forget who the other co-show runner is. I guess they'll be doing it solo second season. So it should be fine. But uh, this seems kind of, kind of crazy. HBO Max also <laughs> is renewing Harley Quinn for season four. Okay. 
<laughs> I really want to like this show. I, I, like I said last week, I love the visuals and the characters and everything, but uh, I got to turn the volume down sometimes because it's just too much screaming. Warner, uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, was he Mad-Eye Mooney? He was someone, he is going to be in Joker Folly uh, do I don't even know how you say that. I got to learn how to say the, the Joker 2 title. No idea who he's playing. People are saying, oh, he's probably going to be the warden of Arkham Asylum or a security guard or something like that. So, okay. Warner Brothers supposedly regrets releasing the Snyder Cut, uh, Justice League, whatever, and mainly because it failed to satisfy the Snyder fans. And it, it pretty much it like added fuel to the fire. It's like, you know, you, you give them an inch, they, they want a mile or, or they take a mile, however that, that saying goes. So it's like they kept wanting more. It's like, okay, here, you get this culmination. This is what you've been wanting. You've been asking for this. You know, we're, we'll spend $70 million, 80 whatever it costs. And then they're like, restore the Snyderverse or whatever. So it's, it's like every time it's like they want more. They want more. And I don't think it's necessarily – and like a Warner Brothers decision, I don't think necessarily the other actors. They're kind of like I'm. I'm done. You know, there's there's all this skeptic skepticism about what's really happening and who's happening this and all all that. But you know, you got the fact that the reports are that I think it was like over 13 percent of the fan online fans are bots. Which okay, 13 percent is not huge, but that that's a good chunk. And you know, there's, there's the the rumors that Snyder was behind the whole release of Snyder Cut movement and everything, and who knows? But, you know, there's stuff like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but, yeah, I don't know. And I guess I have not watched the Snyder Cut again since, and I don't, I don't feel like I need to anytime soon, which is a shame because, you know, whatever. So we have that. Uh, last End of last week's news section, I men- mentioned Matt Shackman, possibly directing Fantastic Four, but then there's like, well, what about Star Trek Four? <laughs> Fantastic Four, Star Trek Four. But right after uh, I, I found it, there, it came out that he's stepping down from Star Trek. So basically, he, he's I guess he's doing Fantastic Four. We'll see. Uh, there was uh, some talk about like the Craven the Hunter, um, Alessandra Novilla, who's playing the villain. I just find that so weird. You have a movie about a villain and then there's a villain in the movie. So if the villain is a, if there's a villain for a villain movie, doesn't that make them a hero, but it's not a hero. There's mentioned, you know, there's no CGI, no green screens. It's like, okay, whatever. It's like, we have that. There was a, a teaser for the Winchesters. So uh, I guess it's, Something to do with some show that was, I think it was on uh, CW, and I think it lasted for a couple seasons or like 15 or something like that. This show called uh, Super, Super Phenomenon, Super, Super, um, Super Mojo, Supernatural, something like that. So we'll have to see. It's basically how the, the parents met in, in their adventures. The, the super short trailer thing that I saw looks like it could be fun. Uh, I still need to get caught up. I started that show, Super Net- Natural, and I think I'm still in season one. I don't know if I made it to season two or not. But it's like I, I just have other stuff to watch. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just It seems like it's a fun show. I never watch it when it was on because I was like, oh, it's a CW show. But, yeah, I, I should probably try to watch it. There's just so much to watch. I'm still watching a Only Murders in a Building. 
I don't like the second season. I don't love the second season as much as I, I did the first season. I don't like when Amy Schumer showed up because I, I just thought she's playing herself and she was just like super annoying. And, and it was like supposed to be annoying. I need to watch more of that too. Vincent Donofrio is teasing more Wilson Fisk stuff. And I don't know if it is it for echo. Is it for daredevil or what? But there he tweeted like an image of like a flask that says Fisk on it. So, okay, cool. And, and I'm so glad that he's like so embracing and excited for the roles. I, I think that that's cool. Cobra Kai, I think, starts next Friday, the next season. I, you know, I still have not watched a trailer for it. I'm kind of purposely, one, I don't know if I'm not as, as super excited as I was before. And I, I wish, I really wish it came out over the summer so I can watch it and not have to worry about working, you know, teaching and, and how am I going to watch and all that. So I, I, you know, I, I can't binge it is basically what it comes down to. So it's like, what, what's the point? <laughs> but I also kind of don't want to really, spoil things or whatever so i i know the kind of what they're going to be doing or what was set up for them to be doing but we'll 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 see anyways they're talking about like maybe cobra kai could be like its own cinematic universe but like some of the things was mentioned like maybe there'd be like a mr miyagi origin I i felt like we already know about his origin they said or what about like a cobra kai prequel but we kind of sort of had that we like the with the vietnam flashbacks and I don't know. And I just say be careful because I'm digging the show, but it's weird how fast. I mean, there was like, it wasn't like a two, at least a two year gap between the second and the third season or whatever. And now it feels like bam, 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 bam. They're like cranking out like so, so fast. So I just, I just settle down, you know, don't overdo it. So who knows? Then uh, oh, this. This was bummer news. I don't think I mentioned this last week. Netflix canceled Resident Evil after one season. And this is another one. It's like, man, I watched that like like one day. You know, I, I did binge it for the most part. You know, I took breaks in between, you know, went and made some food or whatever. But uh, it just, <laughs> it's a bummer. And while the show definitely had some, some problems and, you know, there are some things it's like, what? I, I think there were some redeeming aspects and it was interesting like how they decided there's some some gutsy moves and how you re not necessarily redefine but just expanding on some of the characters and then yeah and it's over it's just it's too bad uh ben kingsley i meant to mention this earlier uh he's returning as trevor slattery and wonder man disney plus series did I know about the Wonder Man series? Part of me feels like I did, and part of me feels like, wait, I did. Was that actually confirmed? So I don't know. And when is Disney Day, whatever, coming? Because we need more announcements. I think that's that's coming soon. But more, and it's it's kind of funny how everyone hated Ben Kingsley after Iron Man two. They're like, what? What? What are you doing, Marvel, and everything like that? And then they just kept bringing them, kept bringing them, and now I think people are, I think people are excited that he's coming back. So that, that's just kind of funny. And uh, then I guess the last bit of news is, so one, news to me, maybe not. Did I know about this? They're, they're making a Cruella 2. I still haven't seen Cruella 1. I really want to see it because I, I like Emma Stone. I, I think she's a really good actor. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious like what they're going to do with it. Maybe I have it. See, this is the thing. Like, if I ever have some downtime, I, I, 
I need to try to check that out because I'm pretty sure it's on, on Disney Plus still. And uh, so they're making a sequel, which I'm really curious because Cruella DeVille is not a good person. And it's like, that, that, that was one of the reasons I didn't watch. It's like, okay, you're not necessarily glorifying the villain, but you're trying to make this movie where we're sp- supposed to be sympathetic for the villain. And then, you know, something, and that's like the, with the, the Hunger Games prequel is coming out, which I did listen to audiobook and I did like the book. So I, I am looking forward to, you know, how they're going to, what they're going to do with that. But with Corellaville, and the other thing I didn't say, I didn't watch in a theater because this was like one of the first movies that came out when theaters were like coming back after COVID, after COVID lockdown. But I think something else came out that same time. And then it's like, I didn't want to pay 30 bucks. To, to get premiere access on, on Disney plus. So I just, I never got around to seeing it. I, you know, I watched something else or did something else that week, but I, I, I should watch it anyways, doing Corella too. I have no idea how much faith or trust or accuracy there is in there. Supposedly a rumor or report that Taylor Swift may be the villain in Corella too, which again, if, if there is a villain in Corella too, doesn't that make her the hero Anyways, I love Taylor Swift. I would be 1,000% on board for Taylor Swift in a movie. And I would definitely watch like Taylor Swift and Emma Stone in this, this movie. So uh, Taylor Swift, Midnight's last bit of news. Taylor Swift's <laughs> releasing a new album on October 21st. And right away, I pre-ordered it on the, the Blue Moon vinyl or whatever, the really pretty blue colored vinyl and cassette because a cassette looks cool and then like the next day it's like oh wait there's like was it three more vinyls like oh man so i still need to figure and it's always like available for one week so i I need to decide like right now like am i going to get any more vinyl they're so cool look and the album covers have different (laughs) colors hey i've talked about taylor swift before in a podcast so it's okay taylor if you're listening (laughs) you will always have a place on this podcast if you want it (laughs) and for those listening if you don't like Taylor, I'm sorry. I, you need to get over it. <laughs> you need to calm down. All right, with comic books, so this is one of those, it's, it's the fifth week of the month, so that means we don't have a lot of books. And it's always kind of weird when this happens and, and some of the books that, that are, are put out. I, I kind of feel bad sometimes because it's, they're just so, so weird. Um, not necessarily weird, but you know, you get a lot of annuals. And I hate to say it, but the way I look at annuals sometimes, I feel like I feel like they're just filler. I, I mean, it is an opportunity for other creative teams to sometimes write the characters, which is awesome. You know, because if if you have a, a team on a book and they're in the middle of a storyline or whatever, you know that that's great. And this way, it's if someone's locked in, someone else gets a chance to write. Superman or Batman or Hulk or, you know, whatever. So we, we got action. And, but the thing is that this was more so at, at DC, DC did some, some annuals, but Marvel didn't, which is interesting. So I don't know if Marvel just shifted things because they kind of put out regular titles this week. So it's just all, all weird, but uh, going with, with the annuals where, you know, sometimes they, they do matter. You know, I hate, hate using that word. Sometimes they'll, tie into a current story arc or event or something like that. Or other times, like we're seeing this month with some of the DC books, they're kind of setting things up in other books. So it'll be interesting if you didn't read the annual and all of a sudden 
here's this new thing. And it's, it's not like major, but it's strongly. Anyways, let's, let's just get started at image. There wasn't a, really anything that I read here. Magic order three, number two came out. And this is, I'm, I'm so intrigued with this book and as, as I've mentioned in the past, my problem is that there's so many characters and I don't really know, I don't know the characters. I, I don't think I could tell you a single character's names because I just read the books and I, I have grown familiar with, you know, who's who and, you know, by their look. But there's just a lot of characters for me to, to keep track of. And that's like one of my big weaknesses. And we're, we're seeing just like the relationships build and you got the, the story and, you know, different things going on. And, and uh, th- this volume, I, I do have to say, I've, I'm enjoying this volume a little more than the second volume. There's, I, I think maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset for the second volume, but it's just with these characters. And I don't know if it was just, it felt like it would, there was a, for me, I mean, I don't think it was, but it felt like between the first volume and the second volume that I'm like, wait, who are these characters? And I just like totally blinked out on, on what was going on. So as the story's unfolding, it like wasn't fully connecting with me. But now after the bits that I did pick up from reading that the second volume and then with this one, so it, it's definitely intriguing seeing how with the, <laughs> I, I can't tell you the character's names, but this one a couple with the the woman kind of can see like the future, not necessarily the future, but like where her life's going to go on and stuff with her kids. And, you know, like she and this dude, they get together first, first time. And she's like, yeah, we're you know going to have these kids and this is going to happen. And he's like, yeah, okay, just slow down. But so you, you should, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I'm really, really curious how this will be on Netflix. You know, when, when it ever, I don't even know when it's, it's coming out on as a Netflix show. My big concern is, will we get to see all of these stories told or, you know, cause I'm still so bummed about what happened with Jupiter's legacy that, you know, I, I felt like they just really established a lot and then it ended after one season. So I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case with this, but we'll have to have to see how, how it goes, but um, definitely, you know, you should, you should check out, you know, check out the first volume or whatever, you know, there's always great artists and everything. And, and I just, I always dig the Mark Miller books. Um, Scumbag trade paper bag volume three came out. I, I dropped off like early on and, and I'm still intrigued with these. Like I, I do still have uh, several issues that I haven't read and I don't know if it's gotten better. My problem was always, I didn't like the, the main character cause you're not supposed to, he's a scumbag. And, so I'm just I'm so intrigued that you know how this is is still going on. I I thought it was just going to be like maybe a one arc, maybe a, a two arc book, but you know this this trade has issues eleven to fourteen in there. So you know the, the fact that it's still going is I, I think very interesting. The other thing that's oh um, oh at uh, I, I somehow I fell behind on Boom Studios. So there's House of Slaughter eight. I think I haven't read the last couple. I think maybe six might've been the last one if I even read six, but I, I really like that series. So I need to, I seriously need to get caught up on that at IDW GI Joe real American hero. 297 came out. And I don't, I don't, this book kind of cracks me up. Um, and it's not supposed to, but so we got, got stuff going, you know, Cobra has a casino, you know, he's, he's trying to, Established, you know, Cobra Island and using it as a front and, you know, doing all his, his evil shenanigans. Dr. Mindbender is like going to town, like trying to do what he does. His, his go-to is like get old, dead 
uh, soldiers or whatever and reanimate them, use their their knowledge and ability to create some sort of like super leader, soldier, whatever. So his latest is Genghis Khan. And as as their the the battle fight go, go or begins with J. Joe and Cobra, I think things kind of progressed a little faster than than he planned. And Genghis Khan, Khan actually comes out of his his tube. He's he's reanimated and he's naked and he's buff. So, but one of the funny thing is, uh, you know, so Laura, the one um, Cobra lady, which I don't know where she came from. I like I don't know her background story because since I missed so many issues in between, and, and you know, there, there's like some questions like, like one of the things like he speaks English. And Dr. Manbender's like, yeah, I programmed him, you know, so he could speak English, you know, with his, I imprinted it on his mind, his cerebral cortex and whatever. And then someone, you know, I don't remember who it was, the same person, like, like I, I thought he was old when he died. Yeah, when, when I set things into motion, I gave him a youthful body or whatever, because I thought it'd be better enhanced to do this, whatever. <laughs> and then uh, there's another point, you know, he he's about to take on um, Sean, the new snake eyes and uh was it jinx he grabs like two grenades he's holding them direct he knows how to use grenades and how they work yes i programmed the knowledge and <laughs> so it's it's almost feel that this is what's making me laugh where it's, it's not supposed to be the case but it's like how the things that are happening happening are like borderline absurd and it's like the the, the doctor mind but the, the story the things are being they're being called on by the characters they're like hey this is kind of how is this possible and then dr mindbender has some crazy answer and so i i i just it's weird in the fact that snake eyes is supposedly dead i keep waiting it's like oh is they're gonna bring him back now is dr mindbender gonna did he grab his body and he's gonna res- resurrect him somehow or because I, I think that was part of i think he wanted to do that I, there i think there's i thought I, I remember seeing something i mentioned of that. I don't know if they know that he's dead because Sean was supposed to be posing so Cobra would think that Snake Eyes is is alive. Uh, I don't know, but it's just I'm I'm just more concerned like what's going to happen, like where is it going to go after IDW? And I don't know if that's been announced. I mean, I, I would imagine it, it has to be, but IDW is losing the license or is expiring or whatever. They're not losing the license. It's expiring, so it didn't get renewed or whatever, so someone else is going to pick this up. I would like, I, and I, don't, I know I've said this before, I would like for whoever to carry on, but whoever gets it, they might be like, hey, let's start over and, and we're gonna not going to use Larry Hama anymore. Because I would imagine like Larry Hama to write G.I. Joe, I, I would imagine, not that he's being greed or anything, but you know he's been writing G.I. Joe for, for so long, he probably expects a certain salary you know, for his scripts or whatever, and someone else may pay to acquire the license and maybe they don't want to pay Larry Hama's salary because maybe they want to pay someone who would do it for less and I I really don't know or, or I'm not trying to I am absolutely not saying Larry Hama is like asking for a lot of money or anything but he deserves it he should get paid a lot because he knows these characters in and out but I don't know we'll see okay then at DC so we have a bunch of uh annuals we had Wonder Girl 2022 annual and the the weird thing about this is the i'm I'm trying to think like when was the last time we had a a wonder girl because we i think we had like two miniseries or one miniseries or something like that and then we really haven't seen her like anywhere i i I mean although no i take that i think she wasn't was she in trial at amazon's so maybe i wasn't really reading that so I, i could be could be wrong with that but on the cover secrets of the amazon revealed and it's like um, not really. 
Because when you see that, it's the secrets of the Amazon revealed. That makes me think, oh, the Wonder Girl, the Amazon, this Amazon in particular, or does it mean the Amazon in general? Because it, it's more of that. I mean, you, you get the story about this one, this one woman, evil, whatever. So I, I didn't, I can't say I, I love the story. I mean, it was, it was, it's always, I always enjoy seeing Wonder Girl or Wonder Girl story. I'm really intrigued about this character. And I, I think it, she could be cool. I think there could be some interesting stories being told once they find a place for her and not like forcing her somewhere, but just trying to develop her, you know, more and, and, and giving, you know, giving the opportunity to do that. But here she like returns to whatever, wherever she's, she's at. And she meets up with this dude who she's kind of like sort of started a relationship with her. You know, they like each other and everything. I'm pretty sure it was uh, the same dude from the, the first issues of the series or whatever. But it turns out well, it's a little awkward because he has a girlfriend and he's like, uh, well, you were gone and this and that. And she's like, oh, that that's fine. And then it, spoiler, it turns out there's something up with the girlfriend and you know, it's, that's the, the foil in, in this issue. But then at the end, once, you know, everything's kind of solved, she's like, Oh, whatever. She's like, that's okay. And then they, they like start kissing, but it's like, um, so you, you like this dude, you had a relationship and yeah, you were gone for a while and he didn't know if you were coming back or anything, but then for him to say, oh, cause it, it couldn't have been that long. Cause we're talking comic book time, but then for him just to, hook up with someone else and then she's like oh that's okay i forgive you or it's it's or i understand let's start making out it just seemed a little weird um there's sandman universe nightmare country five i haven't been reading that i really don't know i don't know why i didn't read the the this i haven't been reading this but i'm curious if anyone's been reading it what am i missing because um i i should maybe i should try to go back and read those uh the flash 2022 annual um, I don't know how I feel about the flash lately. It's just, it, it seems like something's been, been off a little bit. So this one, it's a fun, quirky adventure. You know, it's, it's not, is it essential reading? Not necessarily, but there, there are some, some valuable things here, I guess you can say, but <laughs> just looking at the cover. But really, what it what it comes down to, well, the the main thing is uh, the dude. I forget his name. The dude running um, Iron Heights. You know, he wants to be the mayor, and you know, he's his thing is about you know getting law and order in the city and everything like that. This guy's like super sketched. You know, I I think it's I think it's established that he's he's not a trustworthy guy. That there is something really shady with him. Uh, you know, just like, even the way he's not like evil. Like he's going to let the prisoners go, but he's. Maybe he's not really that bad because I think like he had some harsh conditions with the prison with the prisoners, so yeah, that's not good. But he, he's not like like oh, Captain Cold, here you go, go ahead, sneak out. Oops, you got away. No, so he's he's doing some bad things, but where does he lie? You know, where does that put him in in terms of overall evil status? I don't know, but that's probably going to cause some problems. So that's something else that we'll probably see in a, in a regular series, and then we have. Uh, uh, Linda and, and Wally, or yeah, Willie, Lynn, Willie, Linda and Wally are talking. And then Wallace comes up. He's like, Hey, are we going patrol? But it's like, it's weird because he always seems like he never wanted to go on patrol. He's always like, so, but here he comes in and he's like, got a big smile and says, let's go. And so really what happens here is 
Linda is about to um, have her book published, and so Wally ends up reading it. Uh, you know, she welcomes him to read it. You know, she wants him to read it. So basically, what we get is we see the story take place, and the, there is a main character. It's kind of it's a rom- sci-fi romance story, is what it is, and the the main character is kind of like Linda you know she wants to be a writer she goes you know be a reporter or whatever and then she ends up going on this there's this crazy sort of like alien space mission that comes up and then there's this like dude with a rocket pack and he has long hair but he has the same color hair as Wally he has like red hair or orange hair and uh it's just it was just it kind of a silly story i mean it's like I said, it's it's lighthearted. It's but if I never read it, I'm sure it would have been fine. There's I'm sure there's probably something at the end, but that that's the big thing is like because a lot of these you you start reading and then it's like okay, the the last thing is like oh state oh that's it. Oh I don't know if I should maybe I'll mention it try to remember next time. But there's um, some pretty big implications as to what might happen with the West family. Let's just say that. And which strangely, we don't even see the, the twins in this issue, even though they've been such a big part of it. But um, yeah, there might be more going on that we'll see. Superman war world apocalypse. Oh man. Uh, guess what? This was uh, the, the end of this story. And I just, have not enjoyed this war world story. I can appreciate the premise, the idea. It's like, okay, Superman's like, this is horrible. There's this entire like planet that it's being enslaved by Mongol. He's forced people to fight in like a war world battle arena. I need to go liberate them. You know, I, I it, you know, it makes sense. Like, yeah, he should be watching out for people on Earth, but you know, with Jonathan and all the million other heroes on Earth. They have it covered, so he's going to go try to save the others. He takes, you know, some other people with him, takes authority with him, and you know, some others. But oh my gosh, it just felt like it dragged on for so long, and uh, and Superman losing or being depowered because, of course, you have to depower him because otherwise he's too strong and he can just wipe out everyone, you know, without batting an eye. So it's just, uh, and then he comes back, and so he's back. Uh, we'll have to see where, where it's going to go from here. But my goodness. Uh, there is a Harley Quinn animated series. Uh, Harley Quinn, the animated series, The Real Sidekicks of New Gotham Special. And it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six stories. There's a Tawny Young and Guess. So Tawny is a, the talk show host. There's a Clayface story, Dr. Psycho, uh, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Vixen. Batgirl, and an interesting. There's a Mayor Joker story because uh, he just became the mayor like two weeks ago, something like that. Uh, I started. I, I I started reading it. I opened it up, and I'm just like, I can't read this. And it was just one of those where I just felt like I, I don't know something about and it. It seems like a lot of times comic adaptations of shows or movies just don't work and i don't know what that is and and maybe i'm not giving it a fair shake but or maybe it's just that i'm 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 getting a little tired of the show in which i really hate to say that but i just yeah it wasn't wasn't i i feel like at times the show is just too extreme where and and you know there and yeah there there's one 
one thing about embracing your R rating and being able to, to do and say things that you couldn't normally do and just to go running with it. But sometimes I feel like they that's it, everything revolves around that. It's like, oh, we can swear. We can have tons of blood. We can just kill characters. And to me, that doesn't always make a compelling story. You know, yet it opens up new avenues or whatever, but there's more to it than just that. So we'll talk about Harley next week, later in this, this episode. Um, there's Harley Quinn annual 2022. I didn't read that because it's continuing the, the current storyline. And then there is a DC saved by Belle Reeve, saved by the Belle Reeve. Uh, I kind of skimmed through this. There was a, a story about Gotham Academy. Um, was it Brendan Fletcher and is it Becky Cloonan? Um, I'm trying to let my, I'm waiting for my, my, my iPad is going really slow. So I'm trying to open my, my copy. All right. So I'm going to be perfectly honest. I didn't read this whole thing. This is one of those like 80 page comics and some, sometimes there's just too much. So yeah. So there's Gotham Academy is Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher with Carl Kirsch, Kirsch doing the, the art I I I really like that series, and uh, I there was something about those characters, and this is one of those strange cases where brand new characters has nothing to do with anything, but I I enjoyed it, and you know that's and I'm referring to like the Star Wars thing, where my concern is okay if you have a new Star Wars movie with totally new characters, am I going to care? But Becky and Brendan, they and Carl, they made me care about these characters. You know, I care about maps and I'm like, what, what is, what happened to Olive? And so this is good if you've been enjoying that. Um, Suicide Squad, High School, Tim Seeley. I didn't read that. Tim Seeley and and Scott Collins. The Super Sons. This was a Peter Tomasi and Max Rayner did the art. I started reading it and at first I was like, wait, did, is this from an actual issue? And then I said, because it's like, they're at the school, and then Damien comes in in his helicopter, but I felt like that already happened. So I just skimmed over that. Um, there's a Green Arrow and Speedy and Earn It Back. This was by Dave Wilgaz and Mike Norton, who did the art. Um, this was just this was a, a little hard to read because Ollie is, is trying to be you know, the, the father figure to Speedy, to, to Roy, his ward. And Roy is all about being speedy and going, you know, crime fighting, doing all this stuff like that. You know, he's super excited, gung-ho. His grades are, are slipping. So Ollie's like, okay, you're not going to be speedy until you get your grades up. And that creates this huge tension, you know, because Roy's grades do start improving, but he's just, like, completely miserable and everything. So it was, it was a little trite, but, yeah, yeah. But the best part of this issue for me tiny titans uh, so art baltazar and franco with art doing the the art um i just i love tiny titans and this this was was worth it here um that's where i stopped reading because there's just like so much there's an azrael story which you know how i feel about azrael but this is by by dan waters and juan ferreira <laughs> and then there is a nightwing and batgirl by andrew aiden and nelson daniel i, I didn't read those two so yeah, 80 pages, so there, there's a, a, a lot there. Um, I, I guess it, probably because it's, it's time for school, you know, back to school. It's been back to school for me, but not for everyone on the East Coast or about to start this week, I guess. So there's all that. Over at Marvel, so again, we like Marvel had actual issues, <laughs> not just one-shots and annuals. 
like I said, I, they must have scattered things. So there was Amazing Fantasy 1000, and I don't think that number adds up, but whatever. So this is like the big, huge anniversary issue. This was uh, like 70 pages or so. And um, there were some good stories here. You know, you got amazing creative teams. You know, there's, you know, you got Dan Slott with Jim Chung. There's a, uh, art by Todd Nock in one, one issue. There's a Neil Gaiman story. Um, so there's Kurt Busiek uh, with uh, – uh, who did the art with it? It might have been – I don't think it was Terry Dotson. Uh, I might be thinking of Ant-Man. Was it in here? But then there's Michael Cho does some art. So th- there's a, a lot of cool stuff here. And it's one of those – it's basically an anniversary issue. So the majority of the stuff here, you know, nothing is really going to – there's no like lasting repercussions for anything like this, but this is a celebration of the character. So if you really like the character, this is a cool issue, but otherwise it's not like, Oh, you need, if you don't read this, you're going to be lost in a regular series or all of a sudden, wait, well, how did Spider-Man, you know, when did Spider-Man get married? You know, it's nothing like that happens. One of the weird things, there's a lot of reference to Gwen Stacy. You know, there's like one ish, one story, they mentioned like Captain George Stacy and another one's like, like, Oh, a year after Captain George Stacy dies. And you know, it's just like all this, but there was another story, which is kind of like older Spider-Man and Mary Jane is, is, is in the story and everything like that. Yeah. It was just a, just a big mix of different stories. A couple things that were kind of weird is I think it was a couple stories where J. Jonah Jameson is like back at the daily bugle and, you know, Peter's like the photographer. So it's almost like, it's just a story in the past or just, you know, out of continuity, whatever. But this is who Spider-Man and Peter are at their core. And, you know, J. Jonas being at the paper and yelling and, you know, hating spider But it's like, because we know J. Jonas, he knows Peter is, is Spider-Man. He's like Spider-Man's biggest supporter now. But I guess that's not as fun or not classic because that's fairly recent. So it's it's a it's a cool book and you know like I said especially if like Spider Man there's some interesting stories that couldn't really be told in, in a regular Spider Man title because they're just like all over the place and it some are interesting you know you get a sixty year old Spider Man in in one story which is um, kind of weird but it makes sense in in, in a way. Okay, then there's Ant-Man number two. So this is a, a, a weird series. I, I dig it. Um, I, I really, really like Tom Riley's art. I, I think he just does a great job. Um, I recent, I'm trying to think of how I first came across Tom, Tom Riley. I don't really, I'm not that familiar with his, I must have seen his art before. Maybe I just never really noticed. But I came across him, was it on Instagram? Because you know, I started adding him to the awesome or the amazing art pics on, on entertainmentfish.com. So I, I, th- I thought it was great when, oh, no, he did a thing issue. Maybe that was it when he did that, that thing miniseries. Um, and then I was like, wow, I really dig his, his style. So here uh, we, it, it jumps forward a little bit. So we have Eric O'Grady, Ant Man. This is around a time like almost like pre secret invasion. So that means Hank Pym is really a scroll here. And um, so Eric, it's, this is like right after Eric O'Grady steals the Ant-Man suit. And then he realizes he doesn't have any pin particles. So it's like, what is he going to do? So there's a, some interesting developments there. Uh, there was also Gambit number two, which I didn't read. Um, Iron Fist number five. I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know what it is about this series, but there's something that's just not working. And I think part of it is 
I don't I don't know if I'm just resistant because I like Danny Rand. I like Danny Rand Iron Fist. And I, you know I feel like we've had some cool stories, especially like the Matt Fraction David Aha run. I mean that was you definitely you should read that if you haven't. So we got this new Iron Fist. And again, I, I know I mentioned this a couple months ago. I don't know if this was like an exi- I should look him up. I don't know if, if he had like a previous history and then he acquired the Iron Fist or whatever. So now he's going by a new name and but then there's like other characters and there's like whatever his brother and these other characters. I just don't know who these characters are. And that's makes it hard for me. Cause I feel like I've just kind of been thrown into it and it's not like a gradual, like, Oh, who's this, who's this. And part of it is, I don't, and you know, and even on Kunlun, you know, we have, you know, uh, uh, some of the other characters that we've seen, but some of the immortal, whatever, our first characters, but it's just, it's just not working for me. I don't know. Um, Knights of of X. I'm just I'm kind of losing interest in this, which I really hate to say because I, I like a lot of the characters. But uh, one of the things that I think I kind of missed, which I kind of suspected, and I may have mentioned it before, but it's official now that Betsy Braddock and Rachel Summers. Are you ready? they're a couple now or they like each other i thought it was kind of strange in some issues where just kind of the way like exchanges that they had or like a little comment or just or just like the way they were drawn like kind of looking at each other i'm like are they going to try and try to change it where they suddenly like each other just out of nowhere so it just and and this is that 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 thing where i really don't know how i feel about this you know i i have nothing against it but it's, it's kind of like the Tim Drake thing where all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, Tim Drake is actually bisexual. And, you know, maybe that was a case. You know, maybe he's just been in denial. Same thing with, I mean, you can almost say the same thing with, with Iceman. I, I, I don't know if, how I feel about that where he had absolutely no idea. And I can't speak with that because I know there, that is, is probably the case with some people where they're in such extreme denial because of society and family and just you know where they're at and everything and then they just they convince themselves that that's not even remotely possible until it finally comes out and what you know it, it, whether it overwhelms them or they just realize it but it's just weird like all this you know because like i remember Iceman and what was his name opal like you know and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, he's actually gay because young Iceman realized he was gay. So why does an old Iceman know? Which is that doesn't make sense to me. So here we have Betsy and, and Rachel. But it wasn't like Rachel and, and Nightcrawler an item at one point, which I thought that was weird because in Rachel's world, like Nightcrawler was older or something like that. And then there's also the fact, if you think about it, when Betsy was in Quanon's body, like she had a thing for Cyclops, which is Rachel's dad. So she likes the dad. Now she likes, <laughs> I just, I don't know. And I feel like it's just like, oh, we, we need more LGBT characters. So let's just change these characters. I saw like an interview or something like a soundbite where they're, what do they compare this to? I think they're trying to compare the kiss to like the Richter and Shatterstar. Um, it didn't feel like it quite had that impact. I don't know. But aside from that, it's just, I don't even know what's going on with story. You know, they're, they're fighting Arthur and Merlin and there's Mordred 
and other world and they're stuck there but then all these other characters and their siege per i don't know and and because i i've been struggling trying to read this just because i'm i'm i feel like this has been going on because this is like the second volume but i don't know if it the siege perilius changed them if that's why they're more aware that they like each other or if it's a or if it's always i i really can't i don't know but um i don't even know where i i don't know where the series is going from here and i don't even know if this story i actually read most of this issue and i don't even know if things have been resolved or not oh so we'll see next month maybe <laughs> um mech straight uh monster hunters I didn't read that. <laughs> I, I, I'm so amused by the concept of that. And I, the fact that there's a second volume. So I'm so, I hope that means someone like bought the first one. And I hope people are enjoying that. Cause I, I think that's really cool that people could like that. Um, Moon Knight, black, white and blood. I skimmed through this. I, I couldn't get into it. And I love Moon Knight, but you know how we feel about these black and white and red comics i feel like sometimes it's just again it's a great opportunity for other creators to tell their stories but getting these uh shortened stories that are just you know eight pages or whatever maybe less sometimes sometimes that's enough to tell a story because you know there's been some cool stories in you know the, the past three issues but sometimes there's just something that just that doesn't work for me and sometimes it's it's just looking at the art and in black and white, you know, not saying that it's bad or anything, but there's something about it that just, I don't know, just like pushes me away. It, it, it really can't explain it. It's not like it's horrible art and I don't want to look at it, but there's just something, I don't know. I can't put my finger in it. And I don't know. <laughs> uh, Star Wars, Obi-Wan issue four. This was like not my week for, for Marvel. I'm just like a lot of these books. I'm just, Again, it's, it's like I don't know. Am I turning into grumpy old man? But the the Obi Wan comics, it's these these stories. They're while I I'm glad that they're being put out, but it's almost like we have here's old Obi Wan thinking back, oh, reminiscing, and then we get this random adventure with him and young and you know young Obi Wan and Anakin doing something, and then yeah, so it just it just felt like that again. The Variants, Issue 3, I did like this book, so I don't hate all comics. I promise. The Variants, and, you know, we have Gail Simone. I, I really like her writing. Phil Noto, I love Phil Noto's art. So this is just so bizarre what's going on here. And and I, I love Jessica Jones. So I love the fact that we have a Jessica Jones series or miniseries or whatever it is, this is. But the, we're getting all these different variants of Jessica. It it kind of bothers me a little bit that this is called the variance. It doesn't have Jessica's name in there, but I mean, it is on the, the cover. It's a Jessica Jones mystery, but it's, it's just weird. Whatever. I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this, but I, I hope people are reading this. I hope Jessica Jones fans are reading it or people are becoming Jessica Jones fans. If they're reading it, all these different like versions of, of Jessica are popping up and there's not that many, but the, uh, aside from that, there's also Jessica's kind of told that, I forget if it was like the 10 year anniversary from when she was first uh, abducted and held prisoner by the purple man and abused and all that stuff. But someone's like, yeah, he put, put like this post command in there. So once that, that anniversary comes up, you better get away from your family or whatever. Cause you know, he's probably going to make you tear them apart or something like that. So she's freaking out about her, about Luke, her husband and her, her daughter, Danny, 
And uh, so it's like, she, you know, so you see She-Hulk's on a cover. It's like, because she's like, hey, She-Hulk, I need you. If something happens and, and I lose control, I need you to take me down or control me. Can you contain me? And, and so then she finally uh, starts talking to some of the other variants, versions of her. Like, you know, we find out a little bit more of their world and, and stuff like that. So this is just... This is just a really cool story, and I'm just I'm I'm really digging it. Then there's X Force Thirty One. My problem with this is it's friggin' Craven the Hunter. I'm gonna hunt mutants. Uh, it's like, okay, it, it's just the whole thing. Craven, you know, is is he like obsessed with hunting? Is he addicted to hunting? Because he he's never you know he always needs to hunt the next big thing. You know he's always looking for more. Then he decides that mutants are are the next thing, and it's. I think it was when it's like, oh, they can't be killed or whatever. So I was like, I want to hunt them because this makes a bigger challenge. Or it's like whatever. And, and I just I think it's it's so incredibly unrealistic that you know depending. Yeah, you you might have a mutant whose whose power is their hand turns into a nightlight, which you know what's that going to do? Not much. So I I don't know. Um, X Men. 14 so this issue is uh dealing with there's i i don't know how i felt about this i mean it was a it was an axe the avengers x-men eternals tie-in it jerry duggan does a writing so that's the only saving grace for me but it's just i'm so so tired of of this and it's it's hasn't even been the story hasn't even been going on that long but i'm just like enough with this eternals and judging x-men or mutants and 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 then you know there is some stuff because this woman writes you know Iceman does all the stuff like that and i think she her she writes this article about like you know gay mutant saves the day or something like that and like her editor's like okay take the gay off we don't need that and she's like uh but this is who he so it, it kind of becomes that and again i'm not trying to belittle all that and I can't really, I mean, maybe, you know, that is something that's important. I, I can't speak on that, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I just, I need the X-Men to go somewhere. And it's just weird because it's just like, it's always, you have to have some big looming threat. But if you, you think about it, it's like that, you don't really get that with necessarily with Captain America or with Hulk or, Spider, I mean Spider Man. I guess maybe you kind of have is like, oh, more loons coming back. So there's this big threat to this, you know, the, the spider totem and all that. But I feel like with the X Men, there's always like some big thing that's constantly putting them on edge, where you know they're they're always like under threat of something. Where before it feel like you know it's like, oh, they're gonna fight Arcade here, or wait, what Doctor Doom? Okay, uh, then oh, maybe we got you know the, the Reavers or you know. Versus, like, it's got to be this big thing where it's like, oh, the the deviants or the Eternals, they want to hunt the mutants. And the... you get what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, that, that's it for comics this week. How about that? Uh, let's move on. All right, let's uh, let's move over to Game of Thrones. Is it called Game of Thrones? I, I don't know if I asked that last time. Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. So ep- season one, episode two. Uh, it's, it starts off, we see this like battlefield by the water. Uh, the king is told about the battle. Um, Sir Reams, they're talking about his replacement or something like that. The, the one dude, a Coralise Velar, Velarion. 
Um, he comes in. He's upset because four of his, his ships were lost, and they're carrying his banner. He wants action against this crap feeder dude. I don't know if, if I'm supposed to know who that is or where he's from or whatever. But he he wants action done, but because the, the king's just sitting there in his council room, whatever. But the king's like, "Well, I'm not ready to go to war just yet." And he says, "He's like, I have done something. He's like, I've sent some men to see if they can find some common ground." He's like, "You know, I have ships at the ready, whatever." Then Rhaenyra, Princess Rhaenyra, who is like preparing drinks in her, she's like, "Well, we have dragon riders," and they all kind of stare at her, and she's like, "Send us." And King's like, because this is like a big no-no. She's not supposed to say anything. But the King's like, uh, it isn't that simple. And she's like, it would be a show of force. And then Valerian, the Coriolis, whatever, he's like, at least a princess has a plan. So then uh, the the King's, his dude, Otto, um, he's like, well, perhaps there are better uses of the princess's time. So he has her go off with a Sir, 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 how do you say S-E-R? Sir Harold Westboros, uh, uh, what's his name? Grand McTavish. So they, they, they go off in the other room, whatever. So they're going to oversee like the knights that are going to be um, working or, you know, guarding the king and being in his guard or army or whatever. So she's like, they're kind of introduced to her. They're kind of like up in this balcony and they're like in this courtyard. They come up and then they're like, this is so-and-so, whatever, like that. So then she's supposed to thank them for their loyal service to the crown, whatever. The next one's introduced. She interrupts. She's like, um, do any of them actually have combat experience besides capturing poachers? So this one dude, Sir Criston Cole, he was uh, the son of the steward of the Lord of the Black Haven or something like that. So then she's like, oh, let's choose him. Now, he happens to be younger than the others. So I don't, maybe he's supposed to be good looking too. I really don't know. I can't judge that. But it feels like there's, you know, that has something to do with it. So then uh, they're like, well, you know, let's not be too hasty. You know, some of the others have strong or you know, strong allies to the crown or whatever. And she's like, well, her, you know, my father should be protected by someone with actual combat experience, which makes sense. So then uh, the king is talking about his – so in his chambers, whatever, he's been building like this, a model of the city of the kingdom or whatever. And he's got like dragons and just like all this stuff like that. Allison is there. So Allison is Otto's daughter and she's friends with with uh, Rhaenyra. And she's been – you know, Otto's been sending her to kind of keep him company. And I don't think anything has happened. I think it's just someone to talk to or whatever. So she's, she's like, oh, it's truly wondrous what you've built, whatever. Then he asks how Rhaenyra is, you know, and she's like, because or he says that she's barely said more than a few words to him, you know, these past few days. So he wishes that she'd open up to him. I think they said some, I, at some point it's like six months has passed since the queen died or something like that. But Allison says that it'll take time since she lost her mother. And she's like, when I lost my mother, blah, 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 you know, like that. And then, you know, Allison says, you know, maybe he could invite Rainier to talk. Like, instead of waiting for her to say something or talk about how she's feeling, you know, maybe he should say, hey, you know, but, you know, he's he's stubborn. Because I guess, you know, it's he's a king and, you know, he's not used to that. He's, you know, whatever. Later, Rainier and, and Allison are just kind of hanging out. And she tells Rainier that, you know, she's like, you know, your father loves you. But Rainier, you know, she's like, yeah, but, he, you know, he didn't choose me. He did it to spurn Dame. So, you know, Damon, Damien, Damon thought he was going to be the heir. So, you know, he pissed off the king. So the king's like, well, I'm going to make my daughter the heir. 
So then Allison tries getting Rainier to pray to, to be closer to her mother because they're like in this one room, you like light a candle, whatever. And I still can't tell if they're only friends. You know, maybe are they just best friends? I feel like I'm reading more into it. It's like, do they have some sort of feelings for each other besides friendship? And I, I the only reason I, I question that is because of the nature of the show and how you know it's almost like anything goes especially at least in the early you know seasons of game of Thrones or whatever i think they're just friends i think it's all innocent but i just feel like these type of shows have just kind of jaded my mind that it's like oh there's always something provocative going on so i don't think i don't know i guess we'll we'll i mean maybe well we'll get to hang on so the king meets with um Coralise and Rainice, his, his wife. So Coralise apologized for his tenor at the small council today. The king says, well, you know, your fleet is, is the most important one. But, you know, you have to understand that as king, it's my obligation to avoid war until such time that it's unavoidable. So then Coralise, he's like, can I speak Frank? He's like, you know, the queen has died. You know, your, your daughter's named heir and all this stuff. He's like, but, you know, think about your reputation and what people are are saying or what they think. So Corlys wants to join their families. He wants to wed their daughter, Laena, to unite the two great surviving Valerian houses. So with the Targaryen dragons and the Valerian shipping fleet, you know, bound in blood, that he could show the realm that the crown's strongest days are ahead, not behind them. The king says that he has to admit he hasn't really thought about remarrying. It, you know, it hasn't even been half a year since his wife like the queen passed. I think his name is, I forget what her name is, but Rainey says that the realm expects him to take a new wife, you know, to strengthen his line and to produce more heirs. So then Rhaenyra is actually eating with her father. And she says that, you know, they haven't spoken much since whatever. And he's like, yeah, it's, that's a, it's a regret of mine. He's like, you know, we, you, we should be able to speak freely to each other. And she says, well, you know, you can say whatever you want. You're the king. And you know he he says that he's loved her mother or he loved her mother dearly, and she's like, well, so did I. <laughs> and you know then she tells him about the knights and she brings up the council. You know she said that she thought she could add, and he's like, well, you're young, you'll learn, because she was he was about to say that you know she thought that she could add something like that, but then he kind of like cut her off and he's like, well, you know you're young, you you'll learn what your place is that you shouldn't be speaking, you know, blah 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 like that. So then she kind of gets annoyed at how he sort of like dismissed her there. So they were starting to make a connection or whatever. And then he just kind of like, and then it just kind of ruined it. Then the King, I forgot what happened, but the King has to put his hand in like a bowl of magnets because to save his finger, his finger, something happened to it. So the maggots are supposed to eat the dead flesh or whatever. It's just, it would suck to have health insurance back then, or if there even was any, he tells his dudes about the marriage idea. So Otto, Otto Hightower, um, again, he's played by Reese Ephons. He says that, you know, Corlys has overstepped that, you know, he should have brought this to the council. And the king's like, well, that's what I'm doing now. Otto says that, you know, Lady Lane is young. And then the other dude, the Grand Ma Master, M A E S T A R, Master, he says, he's like, well, you know, it, it could be a good idea. And then we see the king walking with Lady Lena, and she does look really, really young. <laughs> so she's like, oh, it would be an honor to join the families. And, you know, I would, she would give him many children. And the king's like, is that what your father told you to say? And then he, and he's like, what did your mother tell you? 
And she's like that she wouldn't have to bed him until she turned 14. So I think she's like 12, which is disgusting. Even like 14 is like, come on, man. That's... Uh, like, um, so and while they're there's like kind of strolling around the garden whatever rainier is kind of watching and rainies elena's uh, mother's like nearby and she's like oh does it bother you whatever and rainier says that you know her father's a king it's his duty to take a new wife and strengthen his line so rainies i think that's how you say her name but she says i didn't ask for a lesson in politics i asked if it bothered you and Rainier says, well, Lane is your daughter. Does it bother you? And she's like, of course it does. But I understand the order of things. I'm not sure you do. Rainier says that if she's trying to elicit anger from her, from her, she's failing. She says, oh, quite the opposite. She's like, your father will marry someday, whether it's to my daughter or to another. They'll have children, and one is bound to be male. When that child comes of age and your father passes, he'll be king, not you. And that is the order of things. So Rhaenyra nods and she's like, oh, yeah, and she's like, yeah, but when I'm queen, I'll create a new order. And Rhaenysa says that, you know, she wishes that that were so, but, you know, the men of the realm had the opportunity to put up a female heir and they denied it because she was supposed to be the queen. Rainier says, no, it's like they denied you. And she's like the queen who never was. That's kind of like the, the title they gave her. So she's like, but they bent a knee to me, you know, when, when the king announced it, whatever. And then Rainey's asked, she's like, do you remind your father's men of that as you carry their cups? So and she's like pouring them drinks in the council room or whatever. She says that, you know, here's a hard truth. Men would rather put a torch to the kingdom than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne, which unfortunately is how it was back then. King tells Alicent that the small council is urging him to remarry. They're kind of talking. She's like, oh, I got you a gift. And she's like, you know, I had to stone Mason, make a new dragon to replace. Because they were talking, whatever. He had one, and he, like, dropped it, and it broke. So he like he's like, oh, that's a very kind gesture. And it's almost like, hmm, are they making a connection here? But then Otto knocks. The king is wanted in the council. So it turns out uh, a thief came and stole a dragon's egg beneath the dragon keepers. So the dude says it was Prince Damon who was a culprit, your grace. So they say that the prince left the missive. And so it is a pleasure of Damon Targaryen, the prince of Dragonstone and rightful heir to the Iron Throne to announce that he is to take a second wife in the tradition of old Valeria. She is to assume the title Lady Missaria of Dragonstone. Her grace is with child and is to have a dragon's egg placed in the babe's cradle in the custom of the house of Targaryen. And then they're like, uh, and the uh, prince has invited you to his wedding. It's in two days' times. So Coralise, he's like, who's this Lady Masseria? And they're like, uh, we think it's, it's Damon's whore. Otto says that this is nothing less than sedition. The Grandmaster, he's like, yeah, I, I strongly agree. The king says that his brother is trying to provoke him into answering. Coralie says that the realm is watching. And Rhaenyra is upset and speaks out. She speaks out of turn. She's like, which egg did Damon take? So the, the dragon keeper dude, whatever, he's like, it was the egg or the egg was Dreamfire's uh, princess. It was the same one that she chose for Prince Balian's cradle, her, her brother who died. The queen tells Otto to send a detachment. He's like, I will go to Dragonstone and drag Damon back to face justice himself. Otto, he's like, I'm sorry, but it's like, I can't allow that. It's just, it's too dangerous. You know, he doesn't want the king to go because especially the, the whole question of an heir, you know. So Otto um, 
pushes Allison to visit the king tonight. So I think he's uh, really trying to push her to like making a move on the king for some reason. Otto and the soldiers arrive. Damon greets them. So there's like this big, long, like stone, like bridge pathway that leads up to the city or whatever. So Otto says that he's like, your occupation of this island is at an end. You are to relinquish the dragon's egg, disband this your army, and banish the, your horror and leave Dragonstone by the order of his grace. Damon interrupts. He's like, where is the king? He's like, I don't see him. Then he sees the one night Kristen and he tries to insult him by saying, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, well, Kristen, I couldn't remember what your name was. And Kristen's like, well, maybe you can recall when I knocked you off your horse. So when they're doing the, the jousting thing. So I guess this is a guy that he fought. Damon kind of chuckles, you know, when he says that, because he kind of sassed him back. Otto says that each breath he takes is an insult. So he calls out the soldiers and Damon says that the king made him commander of the watch and they're loyal to him. So then he holds out the egg. He's like, you came for this? Here it is. So Otto is like, are you mad? He's like, you would never survive this. And Damon's like, well, neither would you. So Otto says to choose violence here is to declare war against the king. And he's like, wonderful. Even if it results in the death of your unborn child and its mother, so then Damon draws his sword, and so do others. And then, then a dragon crawls up behind Damon. So I guess he has his own, dra- own dragon. Otto tells them all that the sheath their steel. And then you see like some clouds like off to the side, kind of like ruffling. Another dragon comes flying, flying up. It's Rhaenyra, and she lands behind Otto and his men. So she gets off the the dragon and walks up. And Otto kind of whispers like, "What are you doing here?" And she's like, "Preventing bloodshed." So she says that the dragon won't harm her because it's protective of her. She speaks to Damon in the other language. She's like, my father named me Princess of Dragonstone. That is my castle you're living in, uncle. And Damon says, not until you come of age. And she says that he has angered his king. He's like, I don't see why. This is a day of celebration. I am to be wed. And she says, you already have a wife. And Damon's like, not one of my choosing. And so then she's like, and this required you to steal my brother's egg? Damon says, you shared your cradle with a dragon when you were born. I want the same for my child. And she's like, you're to have a child? Then he's like, one day. So then Vasaria turns and she like walks away. So it's like, wait, what? What happened? So then Rainier says in English, I'm right here, uncle, the object of your ire, the reason you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me. So do it and be done with all this bother. There's a long pause, and then he turns to go, and he like tosses the egg at her, and she catches it. So then later, Damon goes to Masaria, and she's like, you announced that we were to be wed? So she didn't even know about this. And Damon says, on tomorrow. And then she's like, and that I was with child, your child? Damon's like, well, perhaps when we're wed, we, you know, we can make that true. She says that he... he or, or she ensured long ago that she would never be threatened by childbirth. And he's like, good. I don't know if that means that she had a procedure done to her so she couldn't have kids. Cause he's like, Oh good. Children can be irritating. And she's like, you swore to protect me. And you know, she said all this stuff like that. And he's like, well, Dragonstone is quite secure, but you know, she's not too keen on, you know, how he just presented all this stuff. Cause it's kind of nuts. So the King looks at his new dragon carving that Allison gave him. He talks to this dude about his dilemma. The dude says that Lena, whatever, she, you know, she's from a strong family. She has Targaryen blood, et cetera, or whatever. The king's like, she's 12. And the dude's like, oh, she'll mature. 
And he's like, you know, things are getting tense or whatever. So then he thinks that he should marry Lena. A guard comes in and says, the princess has returned from Dragonstone. And he's like, what? So he's kind of surprised by this. So Rhaenyra goes to his chamber and she said, he's like, you disobeyed me. You know, you fled King's Landing without a word and you acted without the crown's leave. He's like, you are my only heir. You could have been killed. Then she's like, is it okay if I sit? He's like, you know, you went to Dragonstone. And she's like, and retrieved the egg without bloodshed. A feat, I'm not sure, Sir Otto would have accomplished alone. And he's like, yes, well, I sometimes forget how alike you both were. He says that, you know, her mother's absence is a wound that will never heal. Without her, Red Keep has lost a warmth. He thinks that, you know, it will never recover. And she's like, it pleases me to hear this, to know that I'm not alone in my grief. So she says a king must take a new wife. And he says that he could never replace her mother, just as he could never replace her as his heir. But she is only his heir, or she is his only heir, and the line is, is vulnerable. So it's too easily ended. She's like, well, you are king. Your first duty is to the realm. Mother would have understood this just as I do. So the king thinks before a council meeting, and he's sitting there in his room. Then he says, you know, he's decided to take a new wife. So then you see Corlys, he's like, he's like, yes, I'm going to get some more power or whatever. Rainier like nods to him. She's like, okay, yeah, go ahead. And then he says that he intends to marry the Lady Alicent Hightower. And he's like, before spring's end, Otto obviously is pleased. Corley stands up. This is an absurdity. My house is Valerian, the greatest power in the realm. And then the king's like, and I am your king. So then Corlys walks out, which... Seems kind of rude. Rainier just kind of like stares at Allison, and then she walks out too. I don't know what that's about. So this is what I was getting at before. Is she upset because Allison is just her friend, and now her friend's going to be her mom, her stepmom? Or is she upset because she actually likes Allison, and now Allison is going to be with her father and have to be betting her father and giving him heirs or sons or kids? So I really don't know. And again, maybe I'm just naive, but I feel I, d I don't know. So who, who knows? So then we see Corlys. He's talking about how his family is older than Targaryens, but you know they didn't have the dragons. So blah, 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 all this like that. So who's he scheming with? He's scheming with Damon, of course, right? Because you got to have the enemies in the show. Corley says that the crab feeder is gathering strength and the king won't push. He, and he's saying how they're both similar or, you know, him and Damon are similar, that their worth is not given, you know, must be made. And Damon's like, hmm, as he contemplates all this. So we're going to get some sort of sedition or coup or whatever. It's, I, I have to admit, yeah, I'm, I'm getting more intrigued and, you know, maybe cause I'm getting to know these characters. And, and so we'll, we'll see. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying the show. Okay, then there is a new show that came out on FX, and I think it's on FX, FX and Hulu called The Patient. So it has Steve Carell and Dom Domnall Gleeson, who was in, um, he was General Hux in the, the Star Wars movies. He was in that HBO show Run, which never got a second season. Now that I think about it. So it's interesting. Uh, I, I think it's just a miniseries. I think it's just meant to be like one season. But it's it's so Steve Carell, and, and as as I tell people like like the next day like at school I was like yeah there's a new show I watched is, is with Steve Carell and they're like oh I like him he's funny it's he's not funny in this <laughs> it's it's not meant to be a, a funny show uh, so basically 
he's a therapist who gets kidnapped to do therapy on, on a guy who's kind of troubled. So I'm just going to get into it. So the first two episodes dropped. I think the episodes might come out on Tuesdays. I could be wrong about that, but it'll be on Hulu, so you can check it out. I do recommend it. And the episodes are like 30 minutes or less, which I, I love because it's like bam, bam, bam. It just it gets to it. And, and by the time, I'm like, wow, it's, it's over. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, stuff happens. So the first episode, Intake, we see Steve Carell. He wakes up groggy. He puts on his glasses. He gets out of bed. And then there's like a chain on his leg. So then it's like, where is he? You know, he, he's like some sort of basement or something like that. It's like, you know, wh- what's going on? He yells for help. He can't, there's this door nearby. He can't reach it. But then there's also like a patio door. And you can see like the backyard or something like that. But there's like no one around. So then it cuts back to earlier. Earlier, So his name is Alan, um, Alan Strauss. He's at home like preparing a snack or whatever. He gets a, a phone call from some guy wanting to start sessions or, you know, he's listening to his messages. So he meets with this guy. He's wearing these like glasses and he says that his dad beat him up as a kid and he thinks it messed him up. He gets angry, has no social life. And, you know, he's like, you know, that's what you help people with. You know, he's like, I read your book and everything like that. And at one point, uh, Alan, you know, he's like, you know, so what's up with these glasses or whatever? And he's like, oh, I have eye problems, you know, they're oversensitive or whatever. Then we see him like throughout this, you know, time goes by. You see, we see him with other patients too or whatever. And then, you know, we see him with, with this guy again. He says that, you know, his dad hit him all the time. Then Alan's like, well, can you be more specific? And he's, you know, he just says he, he's not really giving him like specifics or not. So it's like something seems a little, little wrong. And then it's nighttime. He's laying in bed, and then it's like, wait, is he sees his dead wife next to him with a guitar? It's like, what's up with that? There's a cradle in a room, like a crib. He goes over, there's like a baby in there with like no features, whatever. It's just kind of weird, and then it was a dream. Then he he calls like his kid or something like that, and he like leaves a message. It kind you kind of get the the feeling like they're not super close at this point. So he then he has a guitar, his wife's guitar. He goes to this this store. I think he's going to. I, I I thought I could be wrong, but I feel like it was like a music store, and he was like going to sell the guitar. But then it turns out that it's his son at the shop. He's like, I thought you should have your mom's guitar since you're the one who plays. And he's like, I don't play anymore. So again, there's like some sort of weirdness between them. Um, oh, so so the dude um, that he's just going to session, he says his name is Gene, and then Strauss is like, or Alan's like, you know, we've been seeing each other for a bit. He's like, but you're not really opening up. And, you know, he, like, tries changing the subject. He's like, oh, but I am trying and all this. And then it's, like, nighttime. We see Alan making tea. He hears, like, a clatter outside, but you can see it's, like, windy outside, so maybe, like, something fell over. So he goes out to check. He sees, like, this, like, a spray can on the ground, like, kind of, like, rolling a little bit. So he goes to get it. He turns, and he, like, gasps, and then it, like, cuts. So then we see him. He's back in bed. He gets up because he hears someone peeing in the other room. And then Gene walks in. And he's like, oh, so sorry. He's like, I know this sucks. He's like, oh, I'll be right back. And Alan's like, what's going on? He's like, let me out of here. He's like, he's like, almost like he's panicked. Gene's like, you were screaming last night. He's like, well, we're in the woods. There's no one around. He's like, I know this is bad. I just need your help. And he's like, I'm out of options. You know, I, I think talking will help. You know, I wasn't getting anywhere in therapy in your office, but here, Strauss is like, no. And Gene's like, He's like, he's like, Gene, this isn't, he's like, well, actually my name is, is really Sam. He's like, sorry. So he, he, he's like, I get that this is upsetting, but it's the only way he's like, I need help. And you know, Sam says that he has much bigger problems than his other patients. He's like, I have a compulsion. He's like, 
I kill people. And he's like, I do it, not just once or twice. Every once in a while, I just, I just do it. And it's gone on for a long time. He's like, I know it's messed up. He's like, you know, I've read books. I'm, I'm trying, but you know, there's this one guy that for a month, you know, he's like, but I, I haven't, you know, it, it, and he's like, it's not like, you know, silence of the lambs where the guy's a robot. And Sam's like, you know, we need to talk about this. But then he's like, but, but if, if we, I can't just let you go because then you turn me in. And Alan's like, no, he's like, not if you, don't tell me you're going to commit another crime because you know it's like ethically it'd be all conf- you know patient doctor confidentiality whatever. But Sam's like, but you know I will kill again. And he's then he's like, you know I chose you because you're a Jewish therapist. You know it's like I I looked into different people. It's like I chose you. He's kind of stuck there, but he's like no. So that, that's basically the first episode. And like I said, it just like it just kind of like zips through it. The second episode, Alan learns to meditate. So we see his truck pulls up to the house. So Sam bought Alan some food. And because he brought him food before, he's like, I'm not going to eat it. He doesn't want to eat that. He doesn't want to give in. But when Alan brings food, he's like, good luck not eating this. And then he's like, are you giving me the silent treatment? He's like, that's not good for a therapist. And Alan's like, I'm not your therapist anymore. He's like, I'm your prisoner. And then he comes with like his box. He's like, oh, don't worry. It's not a head. He's like, have, have you heard of the John Doe killer? And he's like, Yeah. And he's like, I, you know, take their IDs and stuff because it makes it harder to identify and everything. And then the name just kind of stuck in the, the, the papers or whatever. He's like, in case you don't believe me, you know, it's like, here, you can look at all this, whatever. And he's like, no, I, I believe you, whatever. And then he's like, do you want to watch? He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, you, you can use it to track time. He's like, most of them still work. Then we see like a, a flashback, Alan with his wife, you know, she's trying to get him to meditate and he, he just can't, you know, do it because she's like, you got too much going in your mind, whatever. And then uh, Sam comes in with like books and I, there's like some, it almost looked like a paddle. I don't know if it's like a paddle with a ball or something like that. Then he's like, I'll be home by five. So then he leaves. There's like food. He left food out for him, like eggs and toast. Alan, he finally decides to eat. And then he's like looking, he has a plastic fork. So he's like, he wonders, can he try picking the lock, which it's like a metal lock and he's going to try to pick it with a plastic fork. So I don't know what he's thinking. He's like jamming it in there and then a piece breaks off. So then he's like, oh crap, because he's going to know that he tried picking a lock. So he's like banging and banging and, you know, trying to, trying to get the piece out. So it finally comes out like on, on his, his chest or something like that. And then he takes a little piece of plastic and he swallows it. And then he puts like the fork, like under a napkin on a tray. But then he like hears some rattling and scraping upstairs. So it's like, wait, Sam's not there. He left. So what's that noise? Sam comes home. He's like, oh, I got Thai food this time. And he explains oh, whatever. He takes the breakfast trays and he notices, he like kind of stops, pauses. He sees like the broken fork. And he's like, I don't think you can open that with a plastic fork. So he's like, I need to get better. He's like, I brought you here so we could work together. He's like, if you're not going to be part of the process, where does that leave us? Then Alan he finally gets up he sits in a chair. So Sam he almost has like a, a, a slight, slight smile. So he sits. Alan says, successful therapy requires a safe environment. He's like, you can't have fear hanging over. And he's like, obviously he's freaked out. So he's like, you know, you have to make a promise that while we're in therapy, you won't hurt me or anyone without talking to me first then you know we can try to figure out where it's coming from whatever he's like the commitment is a key to the process so sam's like he's like i'll do my best so then alan's trying to sleep he hears noise from upstairs again so it's like what the heck is that 
he another point, you know, the next day, whatever, during the day, he tries meditating. There's a, a flashback. I don't know. I think his son and his girlfriend came over or whatever. So they're having dinner. The wife, his wife, Alan's wife, she, obviously she, she passed away. Something happened. She's like trying to cut a cake with like a plastic knife and then it like breaks. And then the, the woman's like, oh, I guess I should have brought a, a, a real knife. I don't really know what that was about. <laughs> it's like, why wouldn't there, is there no knives in the house? And then later she like throws a cake against the wall. He's like, oh, I was going to eat that, whatever. And she's like, doesn't that bother you? Can't you see what, what, what he's trying to do? And Alan's like, he's just rebelling. So I'm not really sure what that was. Was she not Jewish? And that, because uh, when, when we um, saw, when he took the guitar to him, he was wearing a yarmulke. So it's not like he's rebelling against a Jewish religion. And I don't think Alan has worn one. So I don't really know what, what that was. We'll probably find out. So did, uh, Alan and Sam have a session. Sam, he's like, should I tell you more about my life? Whatever. So he talks about this guy. He mentions that he was inspecting a restaurant. He used to go there with his wife. And I was like, oh, you're married? And he's like, I was. He talks about there are some, some things wrong at the restaurant. Then the guy thinks that he wants a bribe. And, he, and then he, like, he just like talks down to him like he's a piece of poop. And he's like, he just left. Because you know, it was just like, it was insulting. So then a couple weeks later, his supervisor tells him to go over there. He sees everything's fixed. The guy just looks smug and, and like, you know, he's like, he won, like, you know, this is what he wanted. And he's like, so apparently this was like four months ago. He tries not thinking about him. Alan says that, you know, other people get obsessed with interaction. So it's not like this is like a really weird thing. Sam says that he went back the same night and he parked across the street. He waited until they closed. He's like, I never did anything that, you know, I would never do anything that they could trace back to me. But that night, you know, he went there and he, he didn't do it. So Alan asks, he's like, well, how do you think you manage that? And Sam's like, I don't know. Maybe I, I just didn't want to get caught. He, and then Alan's like, well, this was before you started coming to me for, you know, for, for sessions. And he's like, did you think that, you know, I could, that the, that would stop you from hurting him? So he's, he's like, I don't know. So then Alan's like, well, I, he's like, I need a pen and paper for notes. And Sam's just like kind of looking at him. He's like, I'm not going to attack you with paper. And he's like, you can give me a pen that you're comfortable with. But he doesn't give anything. Right. Sam keeps talking. He says, you know, the restaurant guy, you know, the more time passes, the less anyone will connect the, him to him. Alan's like, well, it's important to note that you didn't hurt him. Sam's like, but I wanted to. And he's like, I want to now. So he's like, you asked me to talk to you first. He's like, oh, I'm talking to you now. He's like, it's not really helping. And he gets up and Alan's like, you've been holding this in for four months. He's like, I get why it's hard. Sam leaves and then he, he pees in the other room and he pees a lot because <laughs> Alan's like, geez. Then Sam says, you know, whatever he comes back. He's like, I'm late for work. He's like, let's have a session after dinner. Then Alan gets up. Um, you know, after he leaves, because he hears like the, the truck drive off and then he hears like thudding upstairs. Then he's like, hello, hello. Can you hear me up there? He's like, I can hear you. Are you okay? Can you talk? And then a door from the other end by the stairs, um, you can hear it. Someone starts walking by. And I don't know if they have like a fire poker or something like that. And then Alan's like, hello. And that's where it freaking ends. I, he, I don't know. Is it like, his mother, his father, it's probably not his wife because he said he was married. And how come they didn't hear him yelling before? So I'm wondering, 
is whoever's there, are they deaf? But then they must, maybe they can barely hear it. Maybe him constantly yelling, then maybe they kind of heard something. I don't know. But it's, it's it's definitely an interesting show. And and I, I think Steve Carell is a great actor. So, you know, I know a lot of people think like, oh, he's just, he's that guy from Minions or The Office. But no, he's 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 a good actor. So I, I suggest you check this show out. All right, Stargirl. Stargirl is back. Finally, it feels like it's been a while, but I guess it's probably been less than a year. I can't remember, but it. I'm glad the show's back. I really, I really dig this show. I feel like it has a lot of heart. Yeah, it's a CW show, and and you know a lot of people tend to to kind of make fun or bag on it, but there's something about it, and I think it's it's really because of Jeff Johns and just what the character means to him. And, you know, it's, it's such a personal character with, you know, the origin of the creation of the character with, you know, what happened to his sister and everything. And I, I think there's just a lot of fun. There, there's something about the, the, the teenage heroes. You know, you, you see them gain their powers and, you know, really struggling trying to do the right thing. Now, what's a little different about this one from your, like, your, your regular Peter Parker, whatever stories, is Stargirl's not in this alone. You know, her, like her her mom and her stepdad you know they know what's going on you know they're in on it so that that kind of helps ease a little things she's got a lot of friends and they're, they're trying to form you know this new justice society of america which is a little bit of a stretch but i i think just the nature of the show just really makes it okay you know is it could come across as as pretty cheesy and possibly a little cringy but it all just works out nicely so after two seasons with everything going on uh, you know, a lot of their enemies have kind of helped out. You know, after last season, we had friggin' Eclipso, uh, you know, trying to terrorize the town and everything like that. So that really turned things around for a lot of people. And and it seems, you know, that the over the overall arc of this season it seems like it's it's frenemies. So with a lot of these former enemies turning over new leaves or whatever, the big question is like. Have, are, are they really can they be trusted so that's something that i guess we'll see throughout the season so the first so season three episode one frenemies chapter one the murder so it starts off um it, you, we, we gambler is going to show up you know he, he's talking about like all oh, prepared for your for a tale of, of trust and out whatever heartache and mur- murder in his his accent which i can't do so we see the town wakes up everything looks normal uh zeke pulls up to Pat's garage in his tow truck. Jakeem is delivering newspapers. The Shade picks up a newspaper, so he's living in town, I guess. Beth is woken up by her parents bringing her, like, breakfast in bed. Courtney sends a text from Yellowstone. You know, they're packing up to, they're going to be home soon. Rick gets a text, whatever. He's bearing Grundy. Yolanda gets a text, and then she sees Cindy, like, across the street and she like scowls at her. So Cindy Berman, who, you know, she was so evil, but she kind of, she's kind of getting good. Maybe Cindy, like actually walks by this old lady with a cane carrying like a bag of groceries. And then she stops and she reluctantly like kind of turns around and she's like, would you like some help? So she takes the bag and, and the old lady like takes her arm as, as she walks. So she didn't have to do that. So that, that must mean something. And then we see like the Crocs, you know, you know, Sportsmaster, Cheshire and, and Artemis, you know, they're, they're running uh, down the street, you know, training. Sylvester is at the house and he's like building something in a basement, you know, and then someone picks up a piece of trash in a square. It's Gambler. And he's like, home sweet home. <laughs> so the family arrives at, at their house. Uh, you know, Pat 
uh, Courtney, Barb, and Mike. And Sylvester's in the kitchen. He welcomes him home. He's wearing an apron. They kind of have uh, mixed feelings about the trip. You know, some thought it was great, some not. Barb is surprised that Sylvester fixed everything in the kitchen, you know, because the counter, everything got destroyed and, and all this stuff like that. Then Pat's like, well, I was going to do that. It was on my list. And they're like, what list? So then Courtney goes down to the basement and it's like clean. She's like, oh, no, no spider webs in the corner, whatever, and everything. Um, she asks Sylvester, she's like, where's Cosmo's crate? So she decided to call it Staff Cosmo because it's a cosmic staff, whatever. And Sylvester's like, oh, so again, Sylvester used to be Starman. Starman was supposed to be dead. Somehow he's back. Confusion, whatever. So Sylvester's like, the crate's in the garage. He's like, I made him a new one. And you see, she's like, oh, it's a display case right by your bed. So, you know, he's staying down in the basement. Cosmo goes straight to the case and goes in there. And Sylvester's like, oh, you know, might be overkill, but, you know, I, I didn't know. You know, how do you thank a big golden staff? He's like, if it wasn't for it, I, I wouldn't be alive. And Courtney's like, I've been meaning to ask about that, but I didn't want to be rude. He's like, no, I actually have no idea how I'm back. He's like, I woke up in my own coffin. He's like, you know, I used to be a really cool superhero, but it's hard to keep your cool when you're buried alive. So you know, he's like, I did a lot of screaming, but then when I, I dug myself out, it somehow was completely fine. He thinks that maybe when she formed a bond with Cosmo, it woke up the bond that he has with it, with, with them too, which that makes no sense. And she's like, if you're reconsidering what you said about me keeping the staff, she's like, tell me now. So, you know, I can figure it out. And he's like, no, he's like, the staff chose you. He's like, I'm done being Starman. So Courtney talks to Pat outside on the front porch. He's like, I thought you were excited about Sylvester's back. She's like, I am, but you know, he put a lot of work in that display case. And you know, he's talking about the bond that he had. Pat says, he's like, yeah, but you know, he can teach you stuff that I can't. You know, he knows the, the staff and everything like that. And the Crocs are across the street. They're like, hey, neighbors, whatever. And they're like, hey. So they go inside and Pat like locks the door and Courtney unlocks it. She's like, we have to trust him. She's like, they're not our enemies anymore. She's like, you know, we need to learn to trust. And then the doorbell rings. And it's Gambler. He says that he's there to make amends. So then he talks to them inside. You know, they're sitting in like the living room. He says that you know he's come straight to their doorstep to show that he's following the example the others have made. And Pat's like, "You're not afforded the same trust." Courtney says that you know while the others helped save Blue Valley, he was on the run. And you know he said that he is like, "Yeah, I heard about that stuff." And they're like, "From who?" And he's like, "Oh, he's like." He corrects Pat. He's like, from whom would be more proper? And he's, he's, but he doesn't answer. He's like, I've had a change of heart. And, and Pat's like, what caused a change? He said that while he was trying to hide traces of him in a digital world, he uncovered a birth certificate from a while back. So he has a daughter, Becky. Her mother put her up for adoption. And so that means he's having trouble locating her. And they're like, uh, wait, what do you, you want to be? He's like, I'm not looking to be a father. He's like, I know I'm not a good role model. <laughs> but what he can do is apologize to the people that he's wronged. So he's hoping to be a part of the community again. And if his daughter wants to have like a relationship with him, he hopes that he'll be worthy of one. So Courtney's like, why does she matter to you so much? And there's like a pause. And he says that his own father abandoned him and it put him on a bad path, he thinks. So he doesn't want his daughter to think that he abandoned her. He wants her to know that he loves her. That and But then what we see, someone's like watching them on a screen because then it kind of turns into like a black and white like footage of the living room. So it's like, wait, who's watching it? So then Crusher, uh, Sportsmaster, he's juicing in the morning. 
he's in their their kitchen. It's like five thirty in the morning. Pat comes out. He's like, "What are you doing in my kitchen?" And he's like, "Oh, I made you breakfast." He, he lists off all the whatever stuff like that, and just a tad of testosterone, you know, for Pat. Then he's he's like, "What was that putz gambler doing here?" He's like, "He's like, are you going to lock him up?" He's like, "That Kentucky Fried fella is not to be trusted." Courtney comes down and Sportsmaster says that you know she's like, "What's going on?" He's like, "I'm putting Pat back on the the program." Rip City is his gym. He's like, "It's reopening today." Woo! And Pat tells Courtney, he's like, I, we got to start locking that door. Because <laughs> oh, uh, he did mention that, you know, he, he came by and the door was open, so he came in. At the diner, the shade drinks some tea, and he, it's, he's not happy with it. So he tells the Maria, the matrix, he's like, I appreciate the effort and everything, but it's it's still not right. And she takes away, and, and he just makes this horrible face. Then Gambler comes up to his booth. He's, good morning, Mr. Swift. Do you mind if I sit? He's like, yes, I do. And he's like, what do you want? You know, he sits anyways. He's like, to reform for my daughter, Becky. And he's like, you have no daughter. He's like, just like you have no scruples. So he's, he's like, you should leave Blue Valley before Courtney and the others discover what you're really up to, or I do. Gambler reassures him that his daughter is very real. And, you know, he's saying all this stuff, whatever. Then Shade's eyes go black. And he's like, go, because he just doesn't want him in, in his presence. At school, a lunch in the cafeteria, Courtney talks to Yolanda. She says that Gambler, Yolanda saying Gambler shouldn't be trusted. And the same goes for Cindy. Rick comes up. Oh, Beth's sitting there too. Rick comes in. He's like, no luck. You're like, no luck with with Grundy. He's like, I buried him everywhere. There's no, you know, so he's trying to bury him. So he'll resurrect himself. Then Cindy pulls up a chair and sits with them. And Courtney tries cheerfully saying hi to her. And you know, she, so she says that she, Cindy says, she guesses sitting there means that this isn't a loser's table anymore. And they're like, it never was. Courtney talks. She's like, oh, you know, we have to wipe the slate clean. And so you know, she she wants to have a meeting. She's like, I wrote notes, whatever. You know, Yolanda makes some comments and stuff like that. And Cindy's like, you have to get over your trauma. Yolanda says to Cindy, she's like, we don't want you here. And Rick points out that, you know, Courtney and Beth wanted Cindy in a JSA, but he and Yolanda voted no. So then Cindy's like, well, I'm the swing vote or whatever, and or the tiebreaker. And they're like, no, you're not. You don't get a vote. But, you know, she's there. Oh, and then uh, Artemis walks by. She's like, oh, go team, whatever. She's walking with, like, some other sports. And they're like, uh, what was that about? And Courtney's like, mm-hmm. Pat and Sylvester are in the garage. They're looking at Stripe. Pat is, like, super impressed. He's like, I can't believe you made this and everything like that. He's like, oh, I want to see it fly. We have, you know, just let me go home and, you know, grab the staff real quick. And Pat's like, the staff? He's like, you know, I just want to thank you, Pat, for, you know, giving me a place to stay. You know, seeing you happy with your family, that makes me happy. So then Paula, um, Cheshire, that is Cheshire, right? Um, she visits Barbara in her office, and she closes the door, and she's like, I need to talk to you about Artemis. It's like she desperately wants to join the Justice Society of America, and if she wants that, then so do I. And she's like, I just hope Courtney doesn't hold grudges. He's like, that would be a shame with real consequences. And Barbara's like, I don't have anything to do with like, forgiving or whatever like that. So then we see gamblers living in a trailer, like this like beat up trailer in like a trailer park. He's has his laptop open. He's looking for Rebecca Sharp. You know, he's online. Then he, you know, he looks in his like a suitcase or something like that. There's like a little gun. And then he hears a car rev outside. So he goes outside, you know, to look. You know, there's like nothing out there. So then he comes in, sees the the baby picture of Becky, and he takes the gun, he just drops it in the trash. Sylvester and Stripe, they're flying around up in the sky. You know, Sylvester's got the staff and, and Pat's in the, the suit, the robot suit, whatever. Then uh, Pat and Sylvester come home later at night. Courtney, Mike, and Barb are just standing there greeting them. And Courtney's like, you took the staff. 
So they're like super excited about it every day because apparently Pat caught a jumbo jet. You know, they both you know helped out and everything like that. And Barb's like, you told Courtney you weren't going to be Starman anymore. And Pat apologized, but Sylvester's like, no, it was my idea. Courtney's like, it was great. You both saved a plane. And then Sylvester hands the staff to Courtney. He's like, I'm sorry, whatever. He's like, you know, whatever. I was just, you know, I just want to be helpful. And he like leaves and goes downstairs. Pat's like, he must have really meant it because he never apologizes. Courtney's like, it's okay. You know, it sounds like he had fun. And, but, you know, obviously she's like kind of struggling with this. So she goes downstairs and she asks Sylvester if he's okay. There's a pause. He's like, I lied to you. He's like, I did come back for the staff. She's like, I thought so. He says that when he came back to life, he realized that he didn't have a life to come back to because his sister died. His parents, who weren't really much parents, but they're gone. He never married or had any kids. So all he ever had was Starman, and he doesn't know what to do without it. So she's like, so you do want the staff back? And then the staff kind of floats, like it's like in between them. And he's like, no. He's like, I just thought Pat was holding it, but then I saw you with the staff. He's like, it chose you. He's like, I could never ask for it back. He's like, you're the future, not me. But he's like, I can train you. I can show you some tricks. He's like, after that, I don't know. And she's like, wait. It's like, the staff still works for you. That must mean something. She's like, I can't just ignore that. What if we make an arrangement? When I'm at school, the staff is yours. And when I'm out, I'll get it. I'll, you know, I'll get it back. She's like, it'll be like a tag team. And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, it's settled. And she's like, Star Man is back. And then uh, Beth calls her, there's trouble. So they, they suit up. There's like five dudes robbing some trucks or something like that. And then they're, they're planning to make their move and everything. Then all, all of a sudden, everybody dance now comes on. And Artemis jumps, so, like hops over, so flipping, taking them out, kicking, whatever, everything like that. And then and she takes off. And Sydney uh, just kind of like smiles and watches. Because uh, Artemis' mom said that, you know, if, if uh, she really wants something, you know, she's going to try to prove, you know, prove herself or anything like that. So Gambler's staring at the baby picture. Then he starts writing a letter to apologize to his daughter. Cindy sees um, that they hang out in Courtney's. She's like, you hang out at your stepfather's garage? She's like, it smells like whatever. And she's like, well, you know, we could meet at my house. She's like, there are comfortable chairs and wine. And Rick's like, we don't drink on the job. And someone's like, we don't drink at all or something. You know, they're, they're looking at a computer. And Beth's like, says that the guy they the guys that they busted used to be in the No Limit gang. They worked for Gambler. Cindy's like, this is beyond boring. She's like, call me when something exciting happens. And then, you know, so she leaves. And Courtney tries, like, stopping or whatever. Rick's like, forget Cindy Berman. She's like, we should just go after Gambler. It's like, your experiment working with villains is over. So Sylvester's sitting out in the steps. Pat comes out with, you know, a couple of beer. Um, Sylvester says, you know, he's like, yeah, man, Courtney, that she's something else. And he's like, you know, getting you know us that but both of them back in the game whatever and pat mentions second chances and sylvester says yeah like the crocs or dragon king's daughter or gambler pat's like you know courtney believes that you know they should get a second chance and you know she's been right Sylvester's like they're all predators then he's he says that you know if if he's really back that means pat is officially a sidekick again he's like starman and stripesy and he's like ah, yeah i'm, I'm kind of okay with just going by stripe and he's like, it's an acronym or whatever. Gambler finishes his letter and signs it, love dad. Then his computer like pings, warning, unidentified feed detective. So he you know types up some stuff. And then like nine camera shots pop up on the screen. So one is a barber's office. There's the American Dream, the office that the ISA used or whatever. There's a school cafeteria, Main Street, Ricky Rocks, which is a diner, the pit stop, which is 
Pat's garage, um, Whitmore Dugan residence. It's like the front steps. Chapel residence of Beth's place, like the living room. Sharp trailer out, that's outside the trailer. And he's surprised by this, so he obviously has nothing to do with this. And he gets up slowly. He goes to the little garbage can and inside. He, he takes out the, the gun. Then we see him exit on the screen. He's like looks up where the camera would be. He walks up to it and he starts reaching for it. Then there's like kind of like a growling and the camera goes like static. So something happened. Stargirl, Wildcat, Dr. Midnight, whatever, I guess Beth is Dr. Midnight, Our Man. They're walking the streets. They're still in their costumes. Um, Wildcat asks, she's like, why do you want to trust Gambler? And she says, because he's trying to be better for his daughter. And he's like, you know, Gambler, of all people, is a better dad than her dad ever was. Then they hear like a gunshot or there's like some noise. So they run. Gambler's trailer's like smashed in. And Cindy's standing over him with his gun and it's like smoking. And she's like, I didn't do it. But that's how it ends. So, what happened? Who, who who did Cindy take out? Cindy didn't take out Gambler. I I really think Cindy is trying to be good, even though she's she's kind of a biatch. But who knows? So I, I thought it was it was a good start, and um, we'll have to see. So I'm just I'm glad the show's back. So you should be watching. It. Watch season one and two if you haven't. Or on HBO Max, you know who I'm talking to. Watch it. It's there, and then you can start catching up on the season. Okay, then Harley Quinn, season three, episode eight, Batman Begins Forever. Um, this was, this was, I like this episode better than last week's. It was okay. Yeah, so, anyways, uh, just get started. <laughs> Bruce is hanging upside down from a, like a plant. Harley's like yelling at him. She's like, boom, bang, bang, bang. You know, she's all this stuff. She's like, those are noises that, that you'll hear if you don't spill where Frank is. You know, she's holding a bat. And it's just, Again, her constant yelling everything is it's just like so shrill and it's just just annoying. And he's like, Who's Frank? And she's like, You know damn well who Frank is. And she's like, You better squeal. He's like, You won't kill me. And she's like, Why? He's like, Dead men tell no tales. And then Ivy comes up, Oh, we'll see. And her eyes are glowing. The binds tighten around him, like thorns pop out, and then one gets like real sharp. And it like goes flying it towards his eye, and then it stops, and he doesn't even flinch, and he kind of like laughs, and she's like, "Ugh!" And Harley yells, "You won't talk, huh?" She's like, "We have ways of making you talk." And then over by Ivy, she's like, "How can we make him talk? We tried everything." And Ivy's like, "We need help." So then we hear Doctor Psycho. He's talking. Uh, you know, he's at the Arkham Community Center under new management. So I guess this is former Arkham Asylum. He says, he's like, I used to have a temper problem, but with the help of Mayor Joker's passions, not prisons reform programs, I found an outlet for my judgmental rage hosting this self-help podcast. So then he takes a call. Oh, yeah. He's like, first time caller, long time listener. You know, my name is uh, Rain. And he, it's, it's obviously Bane. And he's talking about, you know, should he give in to his need for vengeance or whatever, or should he just go buy another pasta maker or something like that? So Psycho, he's like, oh, he's like, I can answer that question, but I'll do it right after this this break. And he starts doing like a reading an ad or whatever. And then Harley and Ivy bust in. And he's like, oh, you just ruined a you know perfect ad copy or whatever. And they're like, we need you. She's like, I need your help, Psych- Dr. Psycho. We need your help. So they bring him back to Selena's. And then when he sees that they have Bruce Wayne, he's like, oh, you didn't tell me we're going into his mind. He's like the, the 0.01%. He's like, their minds are like the real freaks. And Harley's like, he's still Frank. He's, so then he's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. But 
under one condition, Harley has to come on and be a guest on my pod. And she's like, yeah, well, yeah whatever. So then Ivy, Harley, and Clayface, and Psycho go in. King Shark, you know, because they have to hold hands and I'll go into mind, like they did when they went into Harley's mind. But King Shark's like, uh, I suffer from motion sickness, so I'll just sit here and watch, you know, the bodies. So when they get there, it's it's like Batman an animated series. There's red skies. You hear like the music playing. Then they see the Waynes and little Bruce outside the theater, and Clayface is he's surprised because you know he's playing. He's as he, posing as Billy Bob Thornton. He's playing the role of Thomas Wayne. He's like, he, he's surprised because Thomas has a mustache. He's like, what other secrets is he hiding? And he's just excited because he's able to use this to, to really play into the role and, and whatever. So they, they start arguing because like Joe Chill, they're like, I thought that was, you know, Joe Cool. And they're like, no, Joe Cool is Snoopy when he wears the sunglasses. Then Psycho's like, I thought that was Joe Camel. And they're like, no, Joe Camel is, you know, is a camel, whatever. But then they're like, oh, we missed the, the, the gunshots or whatever. So then Ivy grabs little Bruce. She's like, where's Frank? And, and Harley's like, he's in a state of extreme trauma. He's not saying anything. And then Ivy's like, oh, this memory's useless. We need to find a more recent one ASAP. So they're like, well, let's get into his ride. So they get in the car, and Alfred's like, where to? Not Mester Wayne. So they're like, the most recent memory, whatever. So they, they drive, and they, they're like, okay, we're here. They come out. They're at the theater again. Wayne's come out shooting again and again and again, over and over again. And then there's, like, multiple, like, theaters, like, all around them, and it's just happening over and over again. And Harley's like, I've only read about this in journal. And Psycho, Dr. Psycho says that this is a reverse repressed memory, meaning Bruce Wayne's repressed every memory in his life except for this one. Harley tries stopping Joe Chill, but it won't work. You know, she, like, tries hitting him, knocking the gun away, but then he picks it, like, flies back in his hand. At one point, she, like, kicks his arm off somehow. It, like, regrows and everything like that. Finally, she covers Bruce my, Bruce's eyes, and she's like, oh, don't don't look at this. Don't watch. And Dr. Psycho's like, what are you doing? He's like, didn't you learn last time you can't mess with the memory? And then they get pulled up, like, out of there. They're back in the apartment, um, but Harley won't wake up. And Psycho's like, well, she's on her own, whatever. So, she, you know, she's trapped inside. And Ivy's like, what if Joe Chill shoots her? And he's like, die in the head, die in real life. She's like, that hasn't changed. Harley's like r- running around carrying Bruce. She's like, ah, oh, you're heavy, whatever. And there's like a bunch of Joe, sh- Joe Chill shooting at them. They're like running. Um, then at one point they step on a manhole and it breaks and they fall and they end up in this cave. Bats fly at them, whatever. And, you know, she's trying to get him to talk, whatever. He's like, oh, I don't want to trust you. He's like, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. He's like, plus you're like a scary clown or whatever. She's like, I'm barely a clown. He's like, I just dress like this because I like the way it looks or, you know, whatever. He's like, well, I just want to go home. And she's like, well, if you show me where my friend is, he's like, I'll help you get there or whatever. So as they're walking through this cave, there's like these little um, like kind of like window portals and there's like other memories. There's like uh, the funeral or Alfred's like, well, you know, why do we follow Master Wayne or whatever? And then there's like him training in the Himalayas and Ivy or Harley's like, oh, look at it. You know, rich guy making, forcing people to train him, whatever. And so she's not getting what's going on. And then he's talking in the den. He's like, oh, I need to be a symbol of the night and all this like that. She's like, oh, you don't sound like Bruce Wayne. You kind of sound like, and she's like, wait, huh? And the kid's like, I'm Batman. And then there's like other memories. Like you see like a modern Batman running around with a bomb. Like some days you can't just get rid of bomb. There's a, all these like kind of similar memories, like with a penguin 
and you know he's like swinging like saving people and harley harley's like you know all this these memories and in order like this it's like impressive and everything and then joe chill shoes shows up so little bruce jumps through like one of the portal things into a memory robin's like tied to a rocket like a almost like a big giant firework rocket harley falls like on robin and then she like appears in his place like in robin's costume tied to the rocket and then she's like wait i remember this moment so harley was as joker's there and harley was there and in her old like classic costume so at the apartment, someone throws a can of sleeping with gas in the window. They all pass out. It's Nightwing, Batgirl, and Robin. Harley's like arguing with her older self, and um, they're like fighting all this stuff like that. So Harley's having fun, like fighting the bad guys. And then Harley, the old Harley, memory Harley, and Joker gets shot. Joe chills there. He's like trying to take Bruce's memories. Harley turns a rocket on him. It explodes. But then his eyes open, his body starts coming back together. He's almost like, you know, T-1000. Then Harley talks to Bruce, and she's she's like, you you have to go to your happy place and all this stuff like that. She's like, and she's like trying to calm him and saying all this stuff. And his door opens up. So they run through there. It closes behind them. They go up these stairs, and it's through, like, the grandfather clock, and it's Christmas. So he says it's the last one they had together. But then all of a sudden, like, the fire goes out, and then the, the Christmas, like, pop, 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 like, so, you know, exploding. Then little Brucey's like, yeah, I took Frank. She's like, yeah, I know that. And he's like, I could see on the security cameras. I saw Ivy was up to no good. She's like, wait, you're watching on a camera? She's like, that's creepy. He said that he had to stop their plan, but then he realized that the plant could do more. It could bring mommies and daddies back from the dead. She's like, it'll fix everything. And Harley's like, Frank resurrects plants. He can't bring back people. And Bruce's like, he can now. He's like, I changed him. And she's like, how'd you do that? He's like, science? which is convenient. So Harley tells him, you know, not to be afraid of chill, you know, because he shows up. She's like, he's like, he won't even show his face. He takes off his mask and it's Bruce Wayne under that. And she's like, what? So then he says that they don't know, you know, he's like, you don't know everything. You don't know why I sit around, you know, begging for the bat symbol to light up. And she's like, everyone knows this because your parents were murderers. Like everyone so, you know, knows this, this story. And he's like, what people don't know is that it was my fault. He's like that night father wanted me to attend, you know, a shareholder meeting, whatever. But I begged him to take us to the movies, you know, to the mark of, of Zorro. And then he says that he has to take the kid back to the alley. So, you know, to go back to the memory. And she's like, well, she wants to help him, but she can't hear because it's too messed up. So she's like, maybe in reality or whatever. Oh, at one point she's like, she says that she's going to be his, his, his therapist or something like that. She's like, don't say anything. And that that's a, a form of confirmation or whatever. So they walk off and the kid's like, don't tell my secret. And she's like, don't worry, patient, doctor con- confidentiality. So then she returns, she wakes up and then she's like, wait, were, were we always in Wayne Manor? So Bruce is like, like laying on a couch, Alfred sending to him. Um, Harley, Ivy, Psycho, and Clayface are tied up. And Ivy's like, no. He's like, Wayne hired those flipping latchkey bat kids to do his dirty work. He's like, who would have thought Batman would sell out? And Bruce gets up, and Harley's like, I know what you're going to do. He's like, but you, you can't undo your trauma. You have to work through it. It's hard. It's scary, but it's the best thing that you'll ever do. And Ivy and Psycho, they're like confused. And Bruce is like, why should I trust you? And she's like, because I promised a little boy I'd help, and I will. He's like, you saw everything. This is the only way out of the dark. And Ivy's like, what are you doing with Frank? Harley says that he modified Frank's resurrection powers and he's going to bring back his dead parents. And Psycho's like, yeah, that's not good. And Clayface's like, ha, a post-credit scene to my biopic. And Ivy's like, no, that's not possible. Wait, is that possible? 
then at the cemetery we see Frank. She's like, no, oh! and you know Bruce hits like a switch, or whatever. Green ooze starts going down into the ground, and then like a shadow, like skeletal arms, like reach up, and then the whole cemetery is kind of like shaking and crackling, and something jumps up out of the ground, and it's over. So I have a feeling like there's gonna be a bunch of zombies in Gotham, and they're gonna have to fight them, and it's because Bruce made this decision. But that's how it goes. So it was. Like I said, it, it was a slightly better episode. I don't know how you feel about Harley knowing that Bruce is Batman. It's It just feels like too convenient. It's like, oh, this is Harley's show. So, of course, she's going to know Batman's big secret. But she's not going to tell anyone because doctor-patient confidentiality, which, okay, whatever. But it's also weird how Harley is being, like, very doctory in this one, where most of the time she's just so completely unreasonable. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, pick a lane. You got to figure out which way to go. And uh, I don't know. But but yay, you know, we, we got another season after this. So let's see what they're going to do. But then She-Hulk, season one, episode three, The People versus Emil Blonsky. So Jen shows up at the prison and then she like yell, asks Emil. She's like, why didn't you tell me you escaped from prison and that you were recorded doing so? And he said that, or you know, because he said to her face that he never turned into abomination anymore. He's like, no, I said that I choose not to. He's like, there, these were extenuating circumstances. So she asks if he understands that this is another crime and it could affect his chances for parole. And he's like, nah. He's like, because you know he was forced to leave his cell, but he returned on his own free will. And Jen's like, who forced you to escape this insanely secure prison undetected? Emil's like, a social supreme of the mystic arts, and his name is Wong. And Nikki's, so Nikki's talking to Jen. She's, Jen's driving now. Nikki's talking to her. She's looked him up. She's like, the internet says he's either a sorcerer who lives in New York or a librarian who lives in Nepal. And, and Jen's like, well, can you get him? She's like, of course I can get him. She's like, I sent him a thirst trap. It was a picture of me with a bunch of books. And then Jen's like, well, I hope that he calls back because if, if Blonsky is telling the truth, this guy busted him out of his prison cell and probably ruined her entire case. Then she turns to the camera, even though she's driving her car, and she's like, she's like, yeah, I know we all want to see Wong, but I just want to make sure that we don't think this is one of those cameo every week type shows. It's not, well, except Bruce and Blonsky and Wong. And then she snaps her head forward. She's like, just remember whose show this actually is. So then there's a news report. It mentions Jennifer Walters taking on Emil Blonsky's case. And there's like gossip sites, you know, like and like YouTube videos, like questioning She-Hulk's qualifications or all the stuff like that. You see all these comments and everything like that. It's like they took away Hulk's manhood and they gave it to a woman. There's like comments. It's like, why is everything got to be female now? Or wow, someone find a reason to cancel She-Hulk. And then there's another like, so we have a Me Too movement and now all the male heroes are gone. Oh, and then there's one. It's like, I have no problem with female superheroes. I'm just saying, make your own. So these are all comments going on online. Um, oh, Nikki also told Jen, it's like, you know, you should just do an interview and, and you know, talk to people so they'd st stop saying all this stuff. Then on another, like, there's this Gideon Wilson, the original prosecutor for the abomination, he talks. He thinks it's appalling that anyone would try to free him or whatever. Jen, um, She-Hulk goes to her office. Nikki's looking over what people are saying about her. And Jen's like, I don't care. And then Jen gets a call from Holloway. She's like, oh, she's got to report to his office. So she goes there, and Dennis, Jen's former jerky co-worker, is sitting there. And he's like, no, not Jen Walters. And Holloway's like, Ms. Walters is head of the superhuman law division. 
And he's like, Mm-mm, we have too much history for me to be comfortable with her on this case. And Jen's like, I'd love to know what this was about and not work on it. Then Mallory Book comes into his office, who's another character from the comics. And Holloway's like, she's also in the superhuman law division. So Dennis is obviously attracted to her. He says he likes the looks of her, but he can't talk to a 10 about embarrassing man stuff. He's like, but, you know, because she could be his next fiance. And he like winks. And Mallory's like, happy to not be involved. And she walks out. So then Dennis points to the guy standing next to Holloway. It's it's Pug. You know, he's just standing with him. He's like, is he a lawyer? He looks cool. I'll take him. And he just like looks at him. He's like, <laughs> so Holloway says to Jen, he's like, our friend, Mr. Bukowski from the DA's office needs help on a delicate matter. He's being defrauded by an ex-girlfriend and he wants to file a suit against her to get his money back. Dennis says that he bought her jewelry. He flew her to Bali for a photo shoot. He paid off her Volkswagen Passat. He subscribed to it. And then Pug is like, why the superhuman law division? Holloway says that his girlfriend in question is a shape-shifting light elf from New Asgard. And he says, to be fair, he thought he was dating Megan the Stallion. And so here's the thing. There is a lot of mention of Megan the Stallion in this episode. It's it's a it's a, it borderline annoying. I think it was kind of annoying. I don't know much. I don't know anything about Megan the Stallion. I know she's a singer. I don't know. I couldn't name a single song from her. I believe uh, one of her songs plays during the post uh, during the credits. But anyways, so he thought he's he's dating Megan the Stallion, and Jen's like, "I'm sorry, what? You thought you were dating Megan the Stallion, multiple Grammy awarding megastar Megan the Stallion? They say her name so much. It's like, is there like payment from saying her name?" So she kind of chuckles at this, and then Dennis is like, "Well, what part of shape shifting didn't you get?" And Jen's like, "You thought." She drove a Passat, and she, like, laughs again. And he's like, this is why I didn't wa- want Walters. And then there's, like, this noise. Wong appears. Miss Walters, I received your message. She's like, great, great entrance. She's great timing. And she's like, I have to take this. So Holloway's like, you may go. So Wong says that everything Mr. Blonsky told her is factual. He extracted him from prison against his own wishes because he required a worthy opponent as part of his training to become Sorcerer Supreme, which seems, like, just really nuts. As Sorcerer Supreme, he insisted, or he insists, Blonsky not be punished for his action. And he gets up to leave. Jen's like, uh, "Can I? I need to remind you. I'm. It's not up to me who, or who's going to be punishing him. The, the parole board will not release him or whatever. After, you know, after seeing the video, she's like, "I know what you're thinking, Ms. Walters, and I'm not erasing everyone's memories." He's like, "Not again." She's like, uh, "That's not what I was thinking." And just, and she's like, "And that's highly unethical." He's like, "Yeah, and it's also very messy. Believe me." He's like, well, we'll send him to the mirror dimension. Jen's like, I don't know what that is, but no. And he's like, the shadow dimension? And she's like, what you can do is to help is to show up at the hearing and explain everything. So obviously there's mention of Spider-Man and everything like that. Pug asked Dennis, he's like, how much did you spend on Megan the Stallion, the, the imposter? And he's like, mm, uh, then he, Pug's like, well, how about I say a number and you tell me higher or lower? He's like, since you bought her mid-sized, mid-sized sedan, how about 50000 And he's just like kind of points higher. 100 200 Dennis chuckles. He's like, 200000 He's like, I'm not a fool. He's like, no, it was more like 175 And Pug's like, 175000 That's a whole house in parts of the country. And Dennis chuckles. He's like, yeah, right. Because <laughs> you probably don't, whatever. Um, then Dennis gets up and leaves. And Pug looks up, imposter Megan the Stallion, like there's this fight video or whatever. Then Den- Dennis comes back in. He's like, sup, bro? He's like, I got to change your heart. I'm going to drop the case. 
he's like, you know, maybe he was okay, you know, giving the stuff. He was just embarrassed to get, you know, found out in, in such a public way. It's actually the imposter. She's posing as him. And then, you know, so Pug figures this out. And then she walks out as Pug and says, the secretary's like, I like harassing women in, in the workplace. And Pug comes out. He's like, stop doing that. He's like, and he's like, no, I don't. He's like, you know me, whatever. So live report from outside the ultra high security prison. They recognize Jen as she walks by. You know, they're like, was it true you were rejected by the Avengers? And this other one's like, rumor is she was rejected by the event. You know, they're all like feeding off each other. The parole board meets. They want to keep it brief considering his recent escape. But Jen says that they have a witness who um, has prepared a statement and will give it uh, after Blonsky gives his because Wong's not there yet. So this dude on the board asks if they're like, are we really entertaining the idea of releasing someone who's been documented escaping from prison? This lady on the board asked Blonsky if he, oh, and his, his uh, seven soulmates or whatever, they're like in the, like the audience section behind the glass. So this lady asks, she's like, do you feel you really rehabilitated? And he's kind of like st stammers or whatever. And he's like, I, I feel a great remorse, a great shame to those I've harmed. So yes, I do feel I've been rehabilitated. I've spent every day in this, in my incarceration, focused slowly on redemption. He's like, I've changed. And a dude is like, if you're released, would you have a place to live? And he's like, yeah, and you could rely on that. So his, was it, is it 12 soulmates? Seven, maybe it's 12. So they're there. Um, and Jen says that, you know, he owns a plot of land on which he plans to work and resides. So the, the lady's like, are you going to farm the land? And he's like, no. And Jen's like, he, he's going to open a meditation retreat on a property. And the lady's like, how does he intend to fund this endeavor? And Jen's like, uh, he's currently in a long-term committed relationship with uh, several pen pals, all of whom have pledged to financially support him. And Emil's like, can I clarify? And Jen's like, no. But he starts talking. He's like, these are my soulmates, whatever. And he says, I'll suck that. And, and then Jen's like, okay. He's like, we don't need to get into that further. She's like, any other questions? The whole board, everyone raises their hands. So uh, this other dude says, you know, Blonsky, the witnesses are talking. Blonsky started a prison literary program. He helped countless prisoners learn how to read. Um, this other one says that he leads guided meditations and yoga for the prisoners. The other one says he helped, you know, with his trouble with his wife. So they're all like saying all this stuff. Um, everyone says their piece except for Wong. And then they played a video and they're like, what about this? You know, we, we can't ignore this. Then Wong pops in. And he's like, have you ever heard of a Kumatite or something like that? And they're like, what? So, and then it cuts to Dennis's case. The um, Ruma, Ruma, Runa, the elf lawyer, she wants to call for dismissal of all charges. You know, she's like, my client is a daughter of an elfin diplomat on an in on Asgard and now a new Asgard. So she has diplomatic immunity. The judge is like, she may have diplomatic immunity in new Asgard, but we are not in new Asgard. Then she stands up and she's like, new Asgard is not a place. It is a people. Therefore, and the judge interrupts. She's like, Thor's inspirational speeches are not admissible in court. And she sits down like in a hump. And then Pug says, the case is very cut and dry. He's like, my client was defrauded of $175,000 by a scam artist. He deserves compensation for the financial and emotional trauma he suffered. The lawyer's like, they were both in a consensual adult relationship and they were into role play. There's no way anyone would believe that my client's texts were from the real Megan the Stallion. The judge says that he finds it hard to believe that that Mr. Bukowski could actually believe it was a real Megan the Stallion. So it'll be up to them to prove it in court. He'll allow this to go to trial. 
is then he leaves, but then he comes back and he says, he's like, in light of some new information I've just received, I'm changing my ruling. Peg's like, he looks over and like Runa isn't in her seat. And he's like, come on, Runa, this is getting a little broad. And Runa's lawyer is like, impersonating a judge is illegal. Get down from there. And then she like taps the gavel and then she changes back to her form and she runs like a bailiff's like chasing her. And Pug's like, oh, this is very good for us. Wong's continuing talking to the board. He says that he gave Mr. Blonsky no choice about vacating his cell, but it was absolutely his choice to return. He offered him asylum in, uh, I forget what the name of the place, but he was adamant that he be returned to serve out his sentence and repay his debt to society. The dude on the board, he's like, Emil Blonsky may not be a threat, but what about when he changes? Emil starts talking, like taking off his shoes and just like, no, no, no. And he tells her, he's like, oh, it's fine. He changes into abomination. He like barely fits in the cell. The board scream, like the dude's like screaming and everything like that. Several guards come in and Jen's like trying to calm everyone down. Like the guard's like, no, no need for weapons and it's okay. And Wong's like, like, oh, you know, he's calming, trying to calm him down too. Then Emil can speak as abomination. He's like, as you can see, I'm in full control. And Jen's like, that's enough. Change back now. So he, he grabs a blanket and changes back because he's naked now. Jen tries smoothing things over. She says that this does prove that he could have broken free, but he has chosen to remain in a cell. So he wants to be like a member of society, blah, 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 blah stuff like that. So then the lady on board, she's like, okay, thank you, or whatever. It's like, we'll go over the facts and reconvene when we've reached a decision. So then uh, the one dude says to, to Wong, he's like, you realize you've just admitted to facilitating a prisoner escape, which is a crime. Wong's like, I must depart. And he opens the portal and he like, takes off. Jen exits the prison. Uh, reporters are like trying to talk to her and everything like that. And it, then l- later we find out that apparently there's protesters because Jen's at the bar. She's talking to Nikki. She's like, when I got to my car, someone wrote monster defending a monster. Nikki's like, this can go away with one little interview and she's like no no and then pug comes in he's exasperated over dennis and then jen looks at the camera connecting the a and b stories nice because you know we're, we're seeing how they're connected he so he's like how did you work with with him for so long and nikki's like well i killed him in my my head several times in many different ways and jen says that and yet he was convinced nikki had a crush on him she almost would say jen's like i'd almost would say that he was terminally deluded Nikki's like, I would just say he's gross. But then Pug looks at Jen. He's like, would you be willing to say that under oath? So we see Jen understands. She says that she's worked with Dennis for several years at the DA's office. She knows him very well. They've worked regularly in cases together. So she spent a lot of time with Mr. Bukowski. Then Pug asks, he's like, has he ever shared his personal life with you, specifically his dating life? And she's like, yes, he would prolifically do so and unprompted. She said he's um, self-absorbed, chauvinistic, conceited. He once described himself as a New York 10 and an LA 11. Rune and the others like an audience laugh. And she's like, he nicknamed his office the Denisphere. And then Dennis stands up. He's like, objection, relevance. And then the judge says, he's like, uh, need I remind you that you are not representing yourself here? And But he does tell Pug, he's like, but you know, this, how about we get to the point? Pug says that it's been stated several times that a man with reasonable intelligence would never think that he was dating the real Megan the Stallion. He asked Jen, in her opinion, does she think that Dennis Bukowski would believe that he could actually pull Megan the Stallion? And she's like, yes, Dennis Bukowski is an, is an almost pathologically entitled man. He would absolutely believe that he's dating the real Megan the Stallion because he is truly that delusional. And she's got this big smile on her face. And Pug's like, no further questions, Your Honor. 
and Dennis is just sitting he's sitting like pouting. So then, obviously, a little time goes by. The judge says that he awards full damages to Dennis in the amount of 175000 In addition, they're also sentencing the defendant to 60 days for impersonating a judge. And in, in the audience, that's right, there's only one Megan Thee Stallion. So she's actually there. And then uh, later, walking in the hall, Dennis asks Pug and Jen, he's like, do you think I have a shot with the real Megan Thee Stallion? Should I go back? And they're like, no. And then Pug's like, please don't do that. Then Dennis is like, uh, it's, it's too bad that Elf would just get a slap on the wrist. He's like, too bad we can't take her powers away so she doesn't do this again. Then Jen looks at the camera and she's like, oh, did Dennis Bukowski just give me an idea? Uh, that'll say between us. At the prison, the, the board has reached a decision. The dude says that you know, after looking at his record, they will grant his release on parole effective immediately. As a condition of his parole, Mr. Blonsky is prohibited from turning into abomination indefinitely, and he's ordered to wear an inhibitor in perpetuity. Any violation of this condition will result in his immediate return to prison. And Jen's like, understood. She's like, thank you. And Emil seems to be okay with this. He's like, you know, he's like, yeah, okay. And then he actually turns to Jen. He's like, thank you. He's like, I am in your debt, spiritually, of course. And she's like, just stay out of the news. He's like, I don't want to read any more stories about us because there was like a story about like them having like a love baby or something like that. And he's like, they're going to write about you either way. You know, it's just to be part of that. And then, which is like what Nikki's been saying, but it's like this makes it click for her because then she kind of like thinks about that. So then there's like Citizen News Tonight. She Hulk speaks and, you know, she's going to say some stuff or whatever. And they're like, you know, how'd you come up with the name She-Hulk? And she's like, well, actually, I didn't. She's like, someone said it on the news. I just thought about it for like a second, and it just kind of stuck. And she's like, now I'm forever to She-Hulk. And then they're like, okay, we will have to, we'll have to go to commercial, and She-Hulk will be back with her diet and workout tips. And she's like, wait, what? So then... Jen, I guess she's going home. She parks her car. Someone like with a helmet with kind of lights on it, like grabs her from behind. And he's like, I got her. Come on, guys. I got her. And this other guy comes out like, with a, with a, from the shadows. He's got like something in his hand. And there's like more guys coming. She's kind of panicking. Then she's like, oh, wait. Turns into She-Hulk. The guy's like grabbing from, you know, from behind. He, now he's like up in the air. So she just kind of grabs him like flips him you know to the ground at, at the other guy so now there's four of them he comes up and he's like if you're gonna strut around showing off your powers you better be able to back it up and he has some sort of like powered baton or something like that there's like lights in it and she's like when did i ever strut around and show off my powers so they all have like powered tools and stuff and she's like wait did you guys rob an Asgardian's construction worker and the talking dude and he like looks at her he's like yeah then she's like all right let's do this they start fighting her. So it's a wrecking crew, which is, is awesome. <laughs> they start fighting her and it doesn't go bad. She's it's, it's yeah, you got to see it. To, yeah, I can't even describe it. I mean, it's, it's nothing over the top. I don't want to, but it, it was, it was a nice fight. So then they're like, okay, bad idea. And they like run, they in their band. The main dude's asked, he's like, Thunderbolt, did you get it? And he's like, no. Cause he tried like jabbing her with something. He's like, she, when she turned into She-Hulk, I couldn't pierce her skin. And then the one dude's like, oh, our boss is going to be mad. So did they want, like, her blood or DNA or something like that? Jen's, like, picking up her papers. She looks at a reflection in the window, and she, like, sighs. And then that's the end. Then the mid-credit scene, I did, this did nothing for me. At the office, Megan Thee Stallion's, like, signing a bunch of papers. I don't know why she'd be signing papers, what this has to do with maybe some other related thing. 
And then Holloway walks by and sees him like dancing in her office. Like, um, wait, what's it called when when you shake your butt? Um, I'm totally blanking on that. Um, anyways, and she's like, "I'll I'll kill for you, Megan D. Sally. And she's like, "Okay, tone it down." But it's just. I don't know. It's just like, did Megan, these, did she win a contest? Did she pay them? She's like, hey, I'll pay you to say my name like, you know, 57 times in an episode. Or I'm sure she's talented. She's got her, obviously she has, I know she has her fans. I know she's, I know she is like famous, super famous and everything. And I guess she won a Grammy according to, to Jennifer Walters. I just don't listen to type, that type of music. So I, like I said, I, c- I couldn't name a single song. Nothing. I'm not criti- criticizing her at all. But it's just the fact that here's this artist I know nothing about. And it's just like, it just, it, it seemed too much. It was really pushing it for me. But other than that, I enjoyed the episode. I, I it, it was fun. I just, that, if it would have been an artist I was more familiar with, it, it would have made me smile. But this, eh, whatever. All right, now we're going to talk about Sylvester Stallone and Samaritan. So this was on Amazon Prime, and I like Sylvester Stallone. I, 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 his movies are a lot of fun. This movie seemed like it could be interesting. Uh, basically, the premise is there were this hero and villain. They fought. They both seemingly died, and then like 25 years later, whatever, this kid thinks that he's like, oh, he goes, you know, he's Sylvester he's, he's Samaritan, you know, he's been living in hiding, what's going on? So that that's basically the premise of the movie. So it, the movie starts off, you know, they tell us years ago, Samaritan and Nemesis fought, they're twin brothers who became sworn enemies, they were both strong, residents of the town grew to fear them, they set their house on fire, the twins survived, and then Samaritan became a hero, and Nemesis wanted revenge because their, their parents were killed. Samaritan tried keeping his brother in line, but then Nemesis made a hammer that focused all his rage and hate. I don't know how, but just conveniently he was able to do that. It was the only thing that could stop his brother. So then Nemesis started attacking the city because his newest brother would come to save the innocent. Then uh, there's a big fight. Samaritan Nemesis died, just big blast. And then that's the story that was told. In the present day, this kid, Sam, his mom has to go to work. And you know she asked to borrow five bucks from him for the bus. Uh, you know, because they're struggling, whatever, to make ends meet. And she tells him, you know, oh, take out the trash or whatever. So he goes out, he starts spray painting, uh, even though it's raining. And he's like, you know, spray, because he's like really into Samaritan and he's like spray painting a symbol, whatever. But then he hides when someone comes up and it's Sylvester Stallone. He's apparently a garbage man. So then Sam comes home from school. He sees an eviction like note on her apartment and like the, 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 the doorknobs like got this, this cover on there. Then this other kid wants Sam to help him break into a house and he says that he knows that he needs the money so they go they steal some like copper wire and all this stuff like that and then uh, they get a little bit of money then he decides to work with some shady kids so basically they want him to cause a distraction so he can steal from a store and then uh he he's taken to meet like this big baddie dude he's like oh i like your style he, he gives him 100 bucks for what he did tonight and then he gives him a second hundred for what he'll do for him in the future so in this town, uh, crime and unemployment are on the rise. And then later, the, the, the bad kids chase Sam because the one kid blames him for not getting paid. So the stuff that he stole was, like, worthless. It was just, like, water or something like that. You know, he thought he was stealing something valuable. So, But it's apparently the kid's fault. He's mad at him because the, the big dude, 
liked Sam, and so you know he he's jealous or whatever like that. So they they catch him, and they start beating him up, but then Sylvester Stallone comes to his rescue, and this is like Sam when he thinks that he's Samaritan. So he's he lives close by to Sam. And he's like looking at it into his apartment through binoculars. He's, you know, at one point he takes his shirt off. He sees his back is all burnt or whatever like that. So the bad dude, his name is Cyrus. He somehow he goes and he robs like police evidence. He finds Nemesis and Samaritans like burnt helmets. He then he finds a hammer. So all this stuff is just casually kept in like police lockup. It's like they're they're okay with it being. I mean, I guess it's not a big deal. I don't know. So then he's like, with this, I can finish what Nemesis started. And then he like smashes Samaritan's helmet, and uh, then it, it almost seems like Sylvester Stallone could like sense it because he he's like in his apartment, and he like kind of jerks up, like he could feel it or somehow. One thing that I have a problem with is like, what the heck is Cyrus's problem? Why? I guess he's just a fan of Nemesis. I don't know. And then Sam goes to this dude Albert, who like he works in a bookstore. He like wrote this book about Samaritan or anything like that because he thinks Samaritan's alive. The guy doesn't believe him, or whatever. So then Sam decides to break into Sylvester Stallone's apartment. He finds this scrapbook. It's all about Samaritan. Um, the guy, oh, his name is Joe Smith. And then he comes home. He sees like some some pages on the floor. So he goes over to Sam's to get his, his scrapbook back because he, he knew that he had it. The next day they talk, and Joe says to Sam that he's just a fan like he is. But then he's in the street. He gets hit by a speeding car. It's the, the kids. Um, and Sam sees all this, but then Joe's like oh, on the ground, his bones like snap back into place. And then Sam's like, oh my God, I knew it. You're him. I knew it. So Sam's all excited because he, Samaritan's alive. He's back and everything like that. And Cyrus is really riling up the people to get like chaos and stuff in the street. So the, the whole thing about this this movie some things are a little cliche and you it definitely it has like a low budget feel but at the same time it almost reminds me a little bit it kind of makes me feel some of the vibe from like the crow where if you go back and watch the crow with you know brandon lee you have this little little contained i guess what it is it has a more isolated feel from everything we see in the marvel universe you know i loved the marvel stuff but it get it's it just has this really big high production feel to it, and Samaritan it feels like it's almost like old school, like before the Marvel movies, where you know you you have like these little independent director films or whatever, like just struggling to make their movie and you know do this really cool job the best they can. So there are there are some like cool elements to it, but other parts come across as kind of cheesy, and it's almost like it's cheesy on purpose. Like they're they're purposely trying to make it feel that way. I don't know if that was the intention or not, but that's really how it it felt. So it's it's kind of building up to you know we're eventually going to get this this big fight where Samaritan is going to have to come out and face Cyrus. But Cyrus is just a regular dude who has this hammer and he hardly even uses the hammer, but he's just trying to build up this symbol and get all these people to do bad things because I guess with crime going up and unemployment people are just hungry to just feeding into this chaos mentality and they just want to do bad things because they can because they can get away with it and you know the police they're getting outnumbered and so like overall it was just okay the only thing that this has going for it is there is like this big kind of crazy development and i'm i'm describing this cautiously if i describe it another way it might be too obvious what it is 
maybe it's it's obvious already. And when it was kind of leading up to it, I was like, wait. I mean, I'm not trying to say I called it right away, and I know some, a lot of people are saying, yeah, I called it right away in the beginning. But there's like something that happens, and it's, it was interesting. It does really change the whole concept. And see, now I feel like I'm, I don't want to hint at all. I, I do feel like it's kind of worth watching. You know, it's, it's not a super long movie or anything like that. And if you can embrace where it's coming from, I think it kind of can be some fun. And, and, you know, especially if you're a Sylvester Stallone fan, you know, it is not like premier top notch, you know, whatever movie, but it does, it is kind of fun to watch, even though the, the reviews aren't that great, I think. But of course, you know, some people are, you know, maybe we're, we're just spoiled by all this high production Hollywood stuff. But so I, I think that there are some, some good parts, you know, to it, but it's just, it, it wasn't the most spectacular movie. And, you know, I, I absolutely, I can't say I a hundred percent loved it, but it was, it was fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I watched it and I did like how it ended. It does spoiler. It does leave things open where we could get more. I don't know if we will. I don't think it was, I, I mean, I think originally this was supposed to open in theaters, like, pre-covid and then then i think it got delayed at the next year but things were still not happening in theaters and then amazon must have bought the rights to it or something like that so i feel like it probably wouldn't have made up i mean depending on how much they paid for distribution whatever who knows if it's profitable enough but yeah it's just it it, it wasn't the best but it, it's good watching in a slightly cringe way so that's all i'll say about it so i i enjoyed it i think it's worth checking out you watch it you let me know okay and then this week's main feature is the lord of the rings the rings of power and guess what two episodes i don't think i've seen a single friggin' ring <laughs> there's no rings yet uh what did i think of the show before i i do the recap so i'm going to recap the first two episodes and um, it's it's very slick, very very nice production. Uh, everything looks cool. The the characters, the settings, uh, the locations, the uh, CG or whatever. There's a lot of characters, and I'm like, holy crap! It's like trying to keep track of who is who. And and you know, I'll admit, for I was like, I'm I'm taking notes. I'm you know trying to jot some things down so I can keep track of it all. That's the other thing. Like when I I write down the names and I'm watching and I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. And then now when I look at, at the notes, I'm like, wait, how do you say that name? How did they say it like so many times throughout the episodes? Uh, so we have all these characters and they all have like kind of separate stories. Obviously, they're going to come together at some point. But two episodes in and there's there's like not a whole lot of connection between all of them. And it's just like what's going on. And some of these characters, I'm just like, I don't care about all these kids and they're picking blueberry blackberries or whatever and so i don't know it's and, and it's so the thing is i'm not like a huge lord of the rings fan i watched the movies i never read the books i think i mentioned this before i bought the books after one what one or the second one some of the movies came out i don't remember which one never read read it i think i maybe read a couple of pages, just didn't get around to it and I don't think I ever watched, was there two Hobbit movies or three? I never watched, I think, the last one. And uh, 
Yeah, so I, I have nothing against it. I think I watched the animated one. I think I remember seeing that like on TV one time, and I thought it was like really cool animation. Wasn't that Ralph Bakshi? I could be totally wrong. But I'm not the hugest, biggest uh, Lord of the Rings fan. And when this came out, I honestly had no idea what it was. I was like, "What? so what, you're just retelling the Lord of the Rings story with new cast? I was like, it hasn't even been that long? You're re- okay. But it turns out, no, they're not just retelling those stories, which is good. They're actually going further back. And it seems like, you know, there, there's an opportunity to do like certain things, whatever, but they're not quite doing it just yet. So we'll have to see where this is going to go. And I don't recall if it's been renewed. I don't think it's been renewed for a second season yet, but there apparently is a lot writing on this because the reports already spent like a billion dollars on it or some crazy thing. And I, I think they're really, this is really going to kind of determine is Amazon going to be investing like huge monies into money? Did I say monies? Huge monies into original programming. So man, don't, don't mess this up for us because Amazon does like a lot of other good stuff. Episode one, episode season one, I'm going to call it season one. Let's, let's be positive, optimistic. Season one, episode one, a shadow of the past starts out. Some woman is narrating. It turns out to be, Gala, Galadriel, Galadriel. That's see, that does not sound right. That's how it's phonetically it's spelled. Galadriel, Galadriel. I, I can say I can probably say it for like ten minutes, just basically saying the same thing over and over again. Is it Galadriel? Is it Galadriel? Is it Galadriel? Anyways, she's like doing this big narration thing. And uh, so it's like, you know, nothing is evil in the beginning. And then there was a time when the world was so young, there had not yet been a sunrise. So is this like the creation of the world? But even then there was a light. We see these kids playing in a field and they're elves. This girl uh, is like whispering something and she's folding this piece of paper. It's, it's Galadriel. <laughs> That's not how you say it. Galadriel as a little girl. And at this point, I didn't even know there were elves. And then you know, you kind of start to see it. She makes this paper boat, and you know, she puts it in the stream. She's talking about it, and then it starts going down the stream. And the kid starts throwing stones at it, and she's like trying to stop him. And this stupid bully kids, he's like, "I told you it wouldn't float." And then, bam! She's like tackles him. She's like about to like pound him when this adult comes, and it turns out it's her older brother. And you know, then he like looks at the the remnants of her boat, and he's like, "Oh, it was a good design, whatever." And he he he's, talks about the stuff about like, "Why do ships float and stones sink?" And it depends on how they look up at the sun. And I was like, "I don't even know what it was." So then the narration continues. <laughs> we, we we thought our light would never dim. So when the great foe Morgoth, I don't remember any mention of Morgoth. I don't, I don't know anything because I didn't, I know nothing others outside the movies. Uh, so when the great foe Morgoth destroyed the very light of our home, we resisted, and a legion of elves went to war. Then we see several elves, like in armor, you know, drawing their swords and stuff like that. We see like a ton of ships like sailing off. We left Valinor, our home, and journeyed to a distant realm, one filled with untold perils and strange creatures beyond count, a place known as Middle Earth. So, so it's almost like Middle Earth is like a continent. I always thought Middle Earth was like the whole world, but I guess not. What do I know? I, again, I'm not going to pretend I'm an, an expert. I do not know at all. 
So we see like dragons and sword fighting, arrows and all this stuff like that. So then Thinrod, uh, I think that was his name, Galadriel's brother, he he's like fighting. There's just, just insane, all these, everything like that. There's like, or, he's like fighting orcs. He, I guess, gets overtaken by them. And is, is that the end of them? They said it'd be over quickly, but the war left Middle Earth in ruin and would last centuries. So remember, elves can live a long time, so the centuries are like nothing. Then we see a Galadriel as an adult now. She picks up this helmet. She stacks it with this huge mound of like other helmets and everything. So like all these elves apparently died in battle. In the end, Morgoth would be defeated. His orcs spread every corner of Middle Earth, multiplying under the command of his most devoted servant, a cruel and cunning sorcerer they called him sauron and we get a glimpse of sauron like a silhouette of him in his like funky helmet my brother vowed to seek him out and destroy him but sauron found him first and marked his flesh with a symbol and so they didn't know what it meant they looked it up so there then her brother's vow became her vows so she's like i'm gonna get sauron so they hunted sauron the trail grew thin. Year gave way to year. Century gave way to century. They're like trying to search for Sauron and orcs and stuff like that. And then uh, more and more of their kind began to think that Sauron was but a memory. So then at this place, like Fordor Way, the, the, a lot of times they're throwing names and locations. And I'm like, I, this, I don't even know what this means or where this is at. It means nothing to me. We see these elves climbing this like ice wall, including Galadriel. Um, some of them start to question her command because supposedly, you know, they followed you know, her to the end of the earth, and there's been no sign of orcs for some time. This one dude, I forgot his name, he's like, there's nothing out here. And then she's like, no, no, we've arrived. So there's, you know, you look to the, like, the left or right, and then there's like this big castle, whatever. So she, this is where they gathered after Morgoth's defeat. So they go in, they explore the place. They find like this mummified orc or something like that. And then there's, I think, this scroll or something like that. And Galadriel pours like water or something on this and then Sauron's mark appears on there so she's like he was here and then she tells uh, the one dude she's like tell the others to rest we're going further north whatever and you know she thinks that the mark is a sign and he's like that's like several centuries old you know it's like doesn't mean anything they're still kind of exploring and then one elf finds a snow troll and it like attacks so they're getting like beaten like swiped across and it's like i don't know if some of them are just flat out getting killed so of course how do they who who can stop this snow troll it's galadriel she does all these slick moves jumps over like sliding between the legs slashing and jabbing and cutting she kills it so all these other elves couldn't do anything so it's all you know she was like the ultimate fighter here so then they're like, you know, we should have left already. And but she's says, uh, you know, this is the order that she's giving. And, you know, they march in the morning and then dude says, then you will march alone. And they like start like putting down their swords or whatever. So they're like, we're not going anywhere. Then at this other place called Rorvanian or something like that, uh, it's like it's the wilder lands east of Andean. We see these two hunters like walking through a field. And then it turns out this whole village was like hiding, like in camouflage. So they're like amazingly expert camouflagers. This whole like village is just like completely level in this field. So when they're gone, then we see this is a point where we see like these kids gathering berries and stuff like that. And there's like, oh no, there's a wolf track. We better hide. I don't know. I don't think these were elves, and they're not hobbits, or I think there's something else, and I totally don't know. But this part, we were introduced to this one character, Nori, N-O-R-I, who's going to be an important character. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't care about all these kids eating blackberries 
So we had all that. Then we see this dude, Elrond, his elf. He's like riding or whatever. And then uh, he's in Linden, the capital of the high elves. So he's told that Galadriel has arrived because he was apparently hiding out. So he, can, he didn't want to be found. So Eladron goes. He's friends with her. He goes to greet her You know when he finds out she's there. And she's says she's there to ask the king for like a fresh army because she like wants to go out and keep hunting for Sauron. The high king has a ceremony for the returning elves. He's because they say that, you know, the, the days of war are officially over and you can see Galadriel's like not completely down with this. She like reluctantly accepts her golden tiara thing. And apparently this is where I was a little confused. Like what, what exactly are you saying? So as a reward, they're going to be taken across the high sea where they'll spend, go for all eternity to the blessed realm. So it's like the undying lands of Valinor or something like that. And so like at last they're going home. And when they do this, it's almost like, wait, are they like, it's almost like, are they going to Valhalla or something like that? Is this the end for them? And this is supposed to be like the reward is like eternal slumber. So Galadriel does, you can tell she does not like this. And I think the the high king kind of picks up on this. You know, he sees a look on her face. He's, I think he's kind of like waiting for her to protest something, but you know, she doesn't. So then Galadriel, she's like visiting this memorial thing or tomb or something for her brother. Elrond comes up and you know, he's like, oh, he would be proud of the honors you've received today. And she's like, my brother died hunting Sauron. She's like, I'll go north alone if I must. Because she, she's, she's sure that evil's out there just waiting you know, for them to, I guess, just give up or whatever. He like, he's like, no, don't do that. He's like, you, know, you should go to this blessed realm place or whatever. You know, put up your sword or whatever. Then in the Southlands, I guess, um, this other elf, Arendir, he arrives in a small village. He's, he's wearing this cloak, and he's carrying, like, a bow and arrow. He's with this other dude. He goes into this tavern, and uh, so at first I'm like, it wasn't really clear what's going on because as soon as he enters, this like, woman's in there. She, like, leaves right away, and it's like, wait, there's something going on there. So Bronwyn, I believe, uh, she's a human, and I guess elves and humans, like, hooking up is, like, this big no-no. So then, after you know, they, they kind of talk right as well, and then you know the the tavern keeper whoever comes out, and then they have to like act like you know there's like they weren't talking, being cozy or whatever. So then he finds out that like the the war is over, and he's gonna have to leave his post. He's been there for like seventy nine years, so I guess he's going wherever. So then later, this Aaron dear he goes to Bronwyn's home, and you know she's like, "Where's the rest of your company?" He's like, "Well, they're they're probably looking for me." And then um, she has a kid, too, which I don't think is his kid. I, I mean, you never know if he's been there 79 years, but they, they haven't mentioned anything about who the father is or whatever. Then because uh, the, the son's like, it's like, Mom, there's like someone at knocking at the door because I guess Aaron Deere is at the back. This dude comes. He's like, oh, do you heal animals? He has a sick cow. And, and uh, Aaron Deere comes out, too, to like checking it or whatever like that. And it, it wandered east. Aaron Deere like kind of checks some of the milk. And it's like black. So he's like, where, how, where did it go? How far east or something like that? So then he said he's going to go check. And then Bronwyn, she's like, I'm going too. So she leaves her son home alone. I don't remember if I, I think his name is Theo. And he ends up going into the barn. He's like a young teen with his friend. He go into the barn and, and he has like all this stuff like hidden in this like compartment on the floor. And then finally he takes out this piece of metal and it happens to have Sauron's mark. So I don't know where he found it, how he got it, but this is probably obviously not going to be a good thing. 
then Galadriel and some other elves, they're like on their boat ride and they're wearing like these white tunics and they're just standing there holding like their sword down, you know, like holding the handle and the sword's just sticking in the ground. You know, get what I'm saying? They're just kind of sitting there on, on the boat. And, and then um, some like maidens or something come. Their swords are like taken, you know, set down. Their armor is removed. Uh, it, so they were wearing these white tunics underneath their armor and everything like that. And then Galdril has this dagger that was like her brother's dagger. And I'm pretty sure it was her brother's. It's almost like and she almost like refuses to let it go and it's this other dude he's like come on you know do it whatever then these birds start flying around you know there's like all these clouds and then like the sun starts coming out and then there's like singing going on and then the other elves start singing and she's just kind of looking at them and she's like man have you already drinking the kool-aid what's going on then like the, the clouds just like part so then you really see this bright light and you know galadriel looks down at her dagger on the floor and she's just like what what am I going to do here? Then there's this meteor flying across the sky. Like all the other random characters, everyone you know that we've been introduced to, they all see this meteor flying. Like and it, it end up crashing. It crashes by Nori, Galadriel. So the boat is like almost engulfed by this this light, and she's like reaching. You know the other dude's kind of like reaching for. Her. He's like, no, come on. And you know they're just standing in the boat, and it's just getting like it's almost like that super bright white where it's like it just overwhelms everything so i really don't know what and maybe i'm maybe we're supposed to know maybe like the hardcore or people with half a bit of half a brain of knowledge of lord of the rings maybe they know what this means i don't but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily a good thing she ends up jumping off the boat with her dagger because she's like uh no no i'm not doing this so and she's in this boat in the middle of nowhere Nori goes to check the meteor. There's like this huge crater and there's like a dude in the center. Like, and there's like, like fire and stuff like that. So there's this dude just sitting there. That's the end of episode one. Episode, season one, episode two, Adrift. So Galadriel's, she's in the middle of nowhere in the water. She's just kind of treading and she just starts swimming. So it's like, man, you got a long ways to go. Nori is standing at the top of the flaming crater. Then this other whatever species thing they are. Poppy, her friend, comes up and she's like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And she kind of grabs her some, and she ends up knocking Nori into the crater. It's like there's like it's molten hot. And there's flames and everything like that, and you're being so careless, and you just like shoved your friend in there. So she she goes down there like towards the bottom, and she's like her arms like some flaming embers, but she finds out it's not hot. So then she looks, the, the dude has like this big beard and she kind of goes to him and she like pokes his cheek and he grabs her wrist and like there's screaming like that. Rocks start like levitating, floating up and then all the flames go out for a bit and then whoosh, they come back and he collapse. So Poppy's like, we got to go, Nori, whatever. But Nori doesn't want to leave him there because there's wolves. She thinks that the wolves are just going to come and eat him because he's passed out. Then... um Oh, there's this dude, Sadok Burroughs. He's like the village leader where Nori's at, and he's like walking around with a lantern and like, because they must have seen the meteor. I, I don't know what he was doing here. Nori and Poppy, they're, they're moving the dude like in this wheelbarrow, and they're like, so Nori and Poppy, they're, like I said, they're, I don't think they're hobbits, but they're, they're smaller. And this dude is like really big, because I don't know if he's, a, I don't know if he's, bigger than a normal human because we haven't seen him around other humans but he's definitely big compared to them just like a certain other bearded person was bigger than 
than Frodo and whatever. Uh, so they're, they're pushing him in a wheelbarrow. He starts like mumbling or something like that. And Nori's like, there must be a reason he landed here. You know, so I have to make sure he recovers. So she thinks it's like some sort of fate that she found him. Aaron Deer and Bronwyn, they get to like, there's see, they see some smoke. They get to this village. The village is like been trashed. It's like just burning. There's like no bodies or wounded. So they're like, where'd everyone go? And then they, they find this like tunnel and he wants to go and look, but he says for her not to go in there or something like that. Um, then in Air Aragon or whatever, Eld, Eldron is talking to Sela Brimbor, I think that's who it was. He, and he has these plans for these two towers, which is it the two towers? I, I don't know. And they go for this walk, and then they see the, the door to the dwarf village. Prince Durin the fourth makes um Elrond do this competition. I forgot what he, what exactly this competition was for because Elrond wants a basically if he wins he he gets a boon. If he loses, I forgot what what he would lose. That he just has to leave right away. It's like that's not much of a. a, a at first I was like, is he going to be have to be a slave or whatever? There's something there. So uh, two big stones are brought in, and they have like you know pickaxes or whatever. And what they have to do is split it so prince durin he takes the back whoosh, splits it in one half then elrond has to go and he splits his so i guess they're just going to keep doing this nori um checks on the visitor and he's not in his uh shelter thing that that she made then she finds him like looking at some carvings like on a rock like some weird symbols she's like hey and he's like ah! and there's like all this like wind like a tunnel screen like one tunnel screen like trees are bending and blowing or it gets dark and everything like that and she's like i helped you last night whatever and then he like stops and he like kind of falls to his knees so then uh she brought him some things he's still kind of dazed and then she's like trying to get him to talk she's like i'm nori and then he's like nori you know he's like repeating her whatever and she brought him some food i think she brought him like some snails and she's like kind of show him how to eat and but then he's just like crunching the shells and everything. she's like no but he he seems to like it then uh nori's father i'm pretty sure it was her father you know they're, they're trying to raise this big like pole archway or something like that you know they're pulling on a string there's a big rope i think nori was supposed to help too the rope is like and it snaps and then he's ends up holding it himself and then his one ankle Oh, so nasty. His ankle kind of twists and, and breaks. So when Nori finds out, she, she of course, she blames herself for not being there. But it's like, uh, no, it, that's not necessarily the case. Galadriel's still swimming, and then there's, like, something, there's some sort of creature nearby or something like that. She grabs her dagger, and then she finds this, like, sort of like a raft, like a wreckage with survivors. I think there's, like, six people on there, and they're human. They're not super happy um, for her there, you know, they kind of help her up. And one, you know, they're, they're just very tense. Like, who is this? You know, what? and she's like, she got separated from her, her people or something like that, her boat. But then at one point, this woman like pulls her hair aside and they see that she has elf's ears. And so, you know, there's whatever this animosity, she's like, you know, get off me, don't touch me, whatever. So then this other ship comes or something like that. They're like, oh, something's coming. But it turns out it's not a ship. It, they call it a worm, but it's like, this big sea creature or something like that with like pieces of, I guess it was their ship that kind of stuck to it. So it's, it heads towards them. And the one lady's like, the elf led it right to us. And then like shoves her in the water. 
and then the creature attacks the floating wreck. So it's actually a good thing that she pushed her because it attacks the floating wreckage and Galadriel's just like, like swimming away. It turns out there's this um, little smaller wreckage that kind of made it one survivor. And it was like, the, it's supposed to, I'm sure it's supposed to be like the hotshot dude. His name is uh, Halbrand. So uh, with the Elrond and, and Durin, the stone smashing continues. Um, Elrond's starting to get tired. And then at one point he, because like, like his ax breaks at one point, but then he yields. So then Elrond and Durin talk and he's, he's, Durin's not really happy with him because it, it seems like there's like, they have some, some passion like that. And then finally he's like, you missed my wedding. You missed the birth of my children. You know, it's been 20 years, whatever. He's like, that might be the blink of an eye for an elf, but you know, it was a lifetime to me. And you know, it's a life you missed. And Elrond, you know, he's like, he's been busy, whatever. And then he's like, congratulations, there was, you know, about all, all this. So Durin finally agrees to let, you know, let him see the wife and family or something like that. But he's like, but no dinner. So then we meet Princess uh, Dissa, and she's, I don't know if she know. I could, forgot if, or I missed if she knew him from before. But she's happy to see him, and she's like, oh, you're staying for dinner. And Durin's like, no. And she's like, yes. So then, you know, he sees the kids and, and all the stuff like that. So then Durin finally tells Elrond what his king's, you know, he, or he's, he's like, why don't you tell me what your king's proposal is so I, I can tell my father. So then Galadriel and, and Halbron, they kind of bicker, you know, there, there's this whatever. He's like, are they going to start liking each other, you know, type of thing it feels like. And then he mentions, you know, being on on a run from his homeland by orcs. And so then she's like, or she's like, where was your homeland? Whatever. He's like, well, what's the matter? It's Ash now. But obviously she, if there's orcs there, she wants to know so she can go and hunt him. He finally says that it was in the Southlands. Bronwyn uh, tells her people about the destroyed village with no bodies, but at, you know, they're like, yeah, whatever. No one's really seems to care. Theo is frustrated because he said, he mentioned before that there's like mice under the floorboards. So then he starts like banging on the floor with like the fire poker and he ends up making a hole and like something kind of looks up at him. And I, I didn't quite catch what it was because it's dark, but there's, it didn't, it didn't look like it was a mouse. Air Arendir is still crawling through this tunnel thing. Then he hears like a growl. Some like rats start running past him, stuff like that. He's like, so he starts going, the tunnel is getting narrower and everything like that. Then he loses his, his lantern <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. He loses his lantern and uh, he's going through the tunnel and then the part of the tunnel goes underwater and he's still kind of going. So then he comes up out of water and, you know, he pulls out his dagger and like something pops up after him, but it, it cuts the next scene. Bronwyn runs home and her place is trashed. And there's like this big hole in the floorboard. She calls out to Theo, but he's actually like hiding in this cupboard and he tells her to go. He's like, go get help. So instead of leaving, she hides in this other like cupboard, and then this creature with long cl like claws pops out of the floor, and it has like this like skull over its head. There's this big fight, and because it ends up hearing her, and you know things go on. She eventually manages to chop its head off, and so I'm pretty sure it was an orc. I think it was an orc, and then she like slams the head down on a table. Like here is approved. You know, there's something going on here. Then uh, with uh, Galadriel and Halbrand, there's this crazy storm going on, and you know she's like tying herself to the part of the wreckage, whatever. But then the whole section she's on like falls off, and then it sinks, you know, because it's almost like there's this big thing, you know, it's like big weight. So she's like just going down, down. Halbrand dives down after her, and he like sees her dagger like on her like belt or whatever like that, and he uses it to cut her free. 
the tall meteor dude, um, the closed captions refer to him as a stranger, but it's like he's got to be Gandalf, right? Either it's Gandalf and they're waiting to tell us or it's not going to be Gandalf and they're like, surprise, it's not who you thought it was. But it's night, Nori and Poppy go to him and Nori says that um, they're going to be migrating soon and they're going to be leaving and you know she wanted to help him. Uh, he's like looking at the lantern. He knocks Poppy's lantern like out of her hands because it uses fireflies to make the light. He starts kind of like gathering some of them like as they're flying around and like whispering to them in this other language. They kind of make like a symbol in the sky, like constellations. So maybe he wants them to help him find those stars or something like that. But then I think like the firefly die like after that. Durin goes to talk to his dad and he says, he's like, I'm certain he doesn't know. He's saying like, you know, the elf is ignorant to it, whatever. And then I don't really know what they're talking about, but then there's like this big case. They open it up, but we don't get to see what's in there. So it's probably, maybe there's a ring of power in there. Hence the title, but we don't see it. Uh, Theo, then he's looking at his, his metal Sauron thing or whatever. And some blood, he his, he got some blood on his arm. And then the blood kind of like attracted, it's like a magnet to this metal thing. And it kind of like hisses. And then the end of this fork prong piece, metal thing, kind of starts on fire. And Bronwyn calls out to him because the whole village is headed, I guess, to the elf tower to because if there's orcs coming or whatever. Then... Uh, Galadriel and Halbrand are like sleeping under wreckage. She kind of wakes up because there's like a sh- kind of shadow over her and they've kind of floated by this big ship and we don't see who's on the ship because the sun is behind them. And that's where the second season ends. So it's not a bad show. I, I, I feel, I think I could be wrong. I think that like Lord of the Rings fans would really be into this. I really don't know. I, for me, it's like, who are all these characters? I don't know if I'm supposed to know them. Maybe if you've read books and stuff like that, there may have been mentioned, or maybe even some of these characters have appeared in the other ones, just like older. I really couldn't tell you. And I, I kind of don't really care at this point because I'm watching this for what this is. You know, I, I debate is like, oh, maybe I should watch the movies again because I haven't watched them in forever. But I'm like, no, I'm going to go into this fresh and, you know, see how it goes. So, so that was it. It's, it's, it's a good show, but it's kind of the same thing for me, like Game of Thrones. It's like in that old timey thing, and sometimes that just doesn't excite me as much, and I, I don't know why. So I'll continue talking about it. Uh, you should watch it, and I, I, I think you'll like it. I liked it. I didn't love it. I think you'll like it more than I did, and that, that's what I think, but who knows. So that is The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, even though there's no rings in these episodes yet. And with that, that is going to be the end of another episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are awesome supporters. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment. And still talking about 1984's Fantastic Four. I haven't decided how long I'm going to talk about this, if I'm going to do whatever I'm open to suggestions if, if you listen, but uh, your support means a lot. I, I, I really need your support. It's, it's, it helps more than you, you can know. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash from heck. What is going to be next week? I don't know. I don't think there's any movies coming out in theaters. The only thing, uh, I believe 
Pinocchio and Disney Plus comes out on Thursday, but I don't think there's anything else coming out. Uh, I feel like there was something, but I I, I can't think of anything because I, I looked, I tried looking it up before, and it didn't seem like there's really anything. This is just so crazy that, that there's nothing. How can there be like nothing? I miss going to the theater. I missed the popcorn. <laughs> I miss going to the theater. Oh man! So you know there'll there'll be more House of the Dragon, The Patient, Star Girl, Harley Quinn, She Hulk, um, and then maybe Pinocchio. I Pinocchio's the main feature. What? We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. So with that, I hope you are doing well. I hope, uh, depending on when you listen to this, I hope you had or have have or had a great Labor Day weekend, three day weekend if you're in the U.S. and I hope you're doing well. It has been really hot in Central California. I'm not Southern California. It's been hot over here, and I hope you are doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're doing fun things. I hope you you know take time out just to you know look out for yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. 